Hello and welcome to episode two of Post Game Clarity, where after the game, oh, com comes the clarity. Yeah, I'm Dorkx. I'm Drew Doodle from YouTube, and I'm Dave. <laughs> oh, and that's the intro. All right. So, how's everyone doing? Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm doing pretty well. Uh, <laughs> I uh, do I want to talk about that? Oh yeah, I uh, I pulled my calf muscle in my sleep this morning. That that woke me up. Uh, oh, so you know, getting older. Woo! Heck yeah. yeah. Yeah, speaking of getting older, I was telling you guys about this, but I was I was belly aching with my therapist earlier about. Gen Alpha's first big viral meme. Have you guys heard about it? No, I haven't. <laughs> no, I haven't. Is this is this little YouTube Shorts video? It's called Skibbity Toilet, and it's a Gary's Mod animation where there's a toilet and a guy's head pops out and just like starts scatting. I think, huh. and it's got over twenty million views. Wow! And I'm fucking mad about it. <laughs> I don't get it. What the fuck is so funny about skibbity You know toilet? what, Drew? Welcome to our world, all right? Because this Gen Z humor is lost on Dave and I. Yeah, yeah. but it's funny when I do it. <laughs> you know what? That's, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> I, guess, I guess, yeah, definitely uh, I could talk about what I'm working on. I, I mean, you know, we're, we're all YouTubers. We're working on our projects. And um, this is a coming together of the minds. Uh, as silly as that sounds, <laughs> as they say. But, but uh, yeah, I am video editing my Civilization VI video. So with, I mean, yes. by the time this is out, uh, it may be out, but most likely it'll probably be a week or two after this drops. But you know, the end is in sight. It's been going pretty well too. The process has been smooth. Yeah, that's great I to can... hear. I know that's a very, very huge game. It's very dense, yeah. so I'm yeah. sure this was quite the behemoth to tackle. And, and part of the reason was that it took me, I'd say, maybe 10 to 15 hours of playing the game to actually start enjoying it, and now I'm obsessed with it. I'm now over 100 <laughs> hours, and I haven't recorded most of that time. You know, I've just been playing it afterwards, but... Um, yeah, yeah, it's it's one of those, you know, sometimes it takes you a while to find the fun in a game, but then if you can get over that hump or if the fun is kind of, it resonates with you, yeah, I think I think that's where we uh, really connect with something we're playing. Heck yeah, I totally agree. I, I, I'm going to probably make an update video because I'm just at the point where if you see my stuff, like, you know, I've been like messing around with the art style hardcore and it makes my stuff take a little bit longer to produce because uh, I just keep wanting to up it. So I think I'm probably just going to make like an update video here in the next week or two and just like lay out the next like five or so big projects because I like know what I'm doing. But I just want everyone to like know that it's like I know what I'm doing, but it's just going to take forever to get through it. Um, nice. But if you did, if you do check out my channel and you look at the the live stream tab, uh, you will see I, I've teased my next big video. Me and Dork actually played it together. Um, so, I won, yeah. by the way. 
Yeah. Um, I kicked Drew's butt. I did not have the best performance, but we're gonna chalk. We're gonna we're gonna blame it on the lag switch. So, <laughs> even though you were the host, yes, correct. Yeah, I lag switched my myself actually. So, wouldn't be the first time. Ha <laughs> <laughs> So we are all gathered here today to talk about a very special game. Hmm. And that game. It's very special. Yeah. Is. So Metal Gear Solid, it released in 1998 for the PlayStation 1. It was developed by uh, Konami with the director of Hideo Kojima. This was one of his first brainchilds, essentially, and what basically kickstarted everyone's ob- obsession with him, I'd imagine. He had, he had, a, yeah. he had like a few games, um, like Metal Gear 1 and 2, but those were on a little more hard-to-access consoles, I believe, on the PC, right, Dave? Uh, no, no. The, the first uh, two Metal Gears were on the MSX, which I believe... So, like, Japan had a load of personal computers that a lot of these, like, great uh, game developers of the 80s and 90s made projects for. Like, he um, he also made uh, Snatcher and Police Knots for, I think, either the FM Towns or the PC-88. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's like, because they were, like, the most graphically enhanced uh, computers at the time, you know, a, a they were kind of in it's like the Amiga or the Commodore 64 kind of in between a personal computer and a console so like the, the ports all those games were ported to other systems like the the NES has a port of Metal Gear 1 and 2 that uh kind of pale in comparison um but uh same same thing with like I think Police Knots was an early CD-ROM game so that's like on the Saturn and the PS1 and um, things like that I gotcha. Dang. Also, I happened to look up that there are two iterations of Metal Gear 2. Like, one where Kojima <laughs> worked on it, and one where Kojima had nothing to do with it. It's There were some American developers that liked Metal Gear so much, and they didn't know if a sequel was being made. So, I don't know if they got themselves a Nintendo license, or if they were already working for a company with one. But they basically made their own sequel. Yeah, so that's really, it's really interesting, especially given the fact that, like, stealth games weren't really a huge thing at that point. I know, like, Wolfenstein, like, you know, like, the very first one kind of, like, dabbled with it. But prior to, like, 1998, there wasn't a whole lot there. But 1998, it was an incredible year for games overall, but it also kind of kick-started, like, the stealth, you know, like, genre in a way, with three humongous heavy hitters Mm. that all hit in a very specific and interesting like way that was that was like unique to them we have mgs which is what i'll be calling this from now on by the way mgs1 is what we're talking about we have tenchu also on the ps1 which is a more like samurai you know like ninja kind of game and then we also have thief on the pc which was more of like a steampunk-ish kind of like medieval like first person kind of vibe wouldn't you say dave Yeah, yeah, it's it's a really interesting game. I, I definitely, one day I would like to do um, a video series on the first three Thief games, like the the, the initial ones, not not all the uh, failed reboots that the franchise has gone through. Also, just talk about Thief, uh, a general point of interest is that um, playing a prototype of Thief was what inspired Warren Spector to want well, he had the idea for a long time, but it was one of the things that prompted the design philosophy of Deus Ex. Oh, you know what? That, that makes a lot of sense because I know like people 
sometimes call Thief like one of the first immersive sim games anyway. So that makes sense. And then he went on to make Epic Mickey for the Wii. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he did. <laughs> yeah, because like, of course, like Thief, uh, it's also kind of like an immersive sim where it has a bunch of like systems and you're kind of like thrown in like to figure out how you want to play. Yep, yep. You 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 can shoot like water arrows to uh, you know extinguish candles to move around in the dark. There's like a light and a sound meter. Uh, there are rope arrows, so like you can shoot them on almost any surface and climb it. Uh, it doesn't mean it's a good way to go, but the game has a lot of <laughs> flexibility uh, to it. Yes, absolutely. And like I think one of the coolest parts is like certain floors will create mm-hmm. sound and certain ones won't. It, there's just a whole bunch of really cool ideas there and. Like I said, like 1998, it was huge because all three of these games hit stealth in a really, like, they're all, like, revered games. And they're all unique in how they tackle this, like, dedicated stealth approach. Because this was, you know, around the time where, like, 3D games were starting to take off, really. And it's kind of, it's just kind of wild to me. I'm sure, like, I'll talk about this in, like, in, like, some, like, future video. But how three wildly different games all hit the mark so perfectly in their own way. Okay, so like the last thing I, I want to talk about prior to actually getting into the thick of things. Um, so what I also found interesting is I played like I played a small bit of Metal Gear 2 on, I think it was like the Metal Gear Solid 3. I think it has the full game on it. Mm-hmm. And what I noticed was it felt a lot like Metal Gear Solid, but like a demake in a way. I was thinking it really reminds me of how Ocarina of Time was, how it was essentially a link to the past, but brought into 3D. And, like, Metal Gear Solid was, like, Metal Gear 2, but brought into 3D. I'm not sure if you kind of see the similarities there, too. I do. Hmm. Excellent. All right. <laughs> you agree. <laughs> well, well, I, 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 think, I think, in a way, this is almost even more impressive, though, because, like, Zelda games all basically have their own, you know, like, story. They can all, like, start, like, wherever they want. But this one, in MGS, there are ties to Metal Gear 2, and they, and they talk and, and, like, they reference certain events, which is, I think, even more impressive than just Ocarina of Time and... Link to the past because those don't well, really have much to do with each other. That, that that was the thing I was going to bring up. I mean, the game does a good job of explaining the significance of these characters and what happened in Metal Gear Two and how it affects Metal Gear Solid. But and, and I assume that's why you went back and tried to play Metal Gear Two. Uh, it feels like you would have a, a a greater experience if you had the knowledge of having been having played Metal Gear Two. That's exactly it, essentially. Like, like the story elements are, are so intriguing that it's almost like, I kind of want to know all about this lore, if I'm honest, but we're not quite there yet, though. It's a small teaser of things to come. Mm. So, uh, the game starts off with uh, a very long, I'd say, credits sequence thing where, like, Snake is kind of swimming up to, like, the surface, or, like, he's, like, diving underwater, and he has, like, the little suit on, and, like, he's trying to infiltrate the place. But what's interesting is, if you, like, keep the game on the title screen, um, you get an actual prologue prologue. I'm not sure if you guys happen, happen to see that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if, really? if you let the, uh, the Konami logo and all that play out, it plays out even before the title screen. Oh, yeah, I did see that, yeah. Even more, what's even crazier is, if you go to the menu and you select options or something, or, or like, extras... You can even see like a debriefing session with the Colonel Campbell um, and Snake, which I think takes place even before that. So mm-hmm. it's it's so interesting how you could like theoretically, you know, have the game on, press start, press uh, circle in this case, and just like have a new new save file and watch Snake, you know, like hop up in, in his little suit, his little sexy suit. Uh, but there's actually two different, you know, like there's two 
huge parts of backstory, I guess, if you want, if you want to view it that way, which you could, which you could see if you put the effort in to try to see them. And I think that kind of like embodies this game as a whole. If you, if you put the effort in, there's some really cool things in this game, really cool details. It's just you kind of have to like dig for them in a sense. Well, so I actually I, have something to say about that little prologue. Is it starts off a thing through the the whole game and the in the subtitles he'll they'll just casually like drop I guess military like acronyms for things, and then in the subtitle if you look at the subtitles they have like what it stands for like in parentheses so I guess Kojima just right out the gate wanted to like flex his lingo knowledge like he opened up the freaking encyclopedia. They, they had a, a military advisor in the credits, and I think every game had one of those. I guess he wanted to make sure the, uh, really? the terminology was correct. Yeah, yeah there, it's there, just really funny one. hearing these voice actors just kind of like drop like names that most people like wouldn't know about. And it's obviously like a great detail. I'm not knocking it, but it is just kind of so it takes you back a little bit. It takes you back a little bit when, when you hear it the, the first time. You're just like, wait, 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 what are you, what are you talking about? <laughs> and they have to put it in parentheses in the subtitles. It's kind of awesome. Which is also funny because so much of the more, I guess, odd and fantastical elements of the game, like when Snake hears about them the first time, you know, like when he first hears Metal Gear, he'll go, Metal Gear, which has become a big meme. But um, because he's he's a soldier, so he actually knows all the military stuff. You know, the, the, mm-hmm. the Metal Gear or him asking about the thing is a really good way for the player to get up to speed because Snake doesn't know about this stuff either. But, this, yeah, the the um, the thing is, like, all the military stuff, Snake would know about that, so he doesn't need to ask right. about it. And no one feels the need to explain it, I guess, unless you actually go into the codex at certain times and ask certain characters about, you know, like, uh, j- jumping a little head, but um, during the Sniper Wolf fights... Uh, the characters in the codec will talk a lot about uh, the PSG-1 sniper rifle or the diazepam and mm-hmm. ha- how how being a sniper works and all that kind of thing. It is really cool how, how in detail all the characters will go about specific things. I'm sure we'll talk about specific characters talking about specific mm-hmm. stuff later. But it is just really fun like seeing... Like, you can feel Kojima just really wanting to be like, hey, guys, check out how much of a nerd I am. Just, like, from, <laughs> from the second the game boots up. It's awesome. Honestly, like, I, I hear that's a pretty big thing with all of his games. I hear, like, mm-hmm. I think in Police Knots or, like, Snap, I forget which one, there's, like, a crazy amount of dialogue that just goes into detail about the most absurd, you know, like, specific things. So I think this is just a thing <laughs> Kojima likes to do. Like, here's a bunch of random knowledge on something. What? <laughs> Well, even, and, and minor spoiler for the future games, but in every game, uh, the person you talk to to save your game will always have a certain thing they're interested in that every time you save the game, they'll have a kind of conversation about a new part of that their interest. In this game, it just happened to be uh, Chinese proverbs. Mm-hmm. Oh, don't worry. I'll, uh, we'll get to mailing later. Trust me. <laughs> but but um, get to the Chinese proverbs. Let's go. You, you you mentioned it just briefly, Dork, and I, I guess this is as good a place as any, but I would I don't want to take too long, and it's not really a rant, but I just want to mention how disorientating it is to get back into the mindset of using the circle button for OK and the X button oh to cancel, God. because having played many Japanese games and watched a lot of anime in my life, I know that, you know, like in Japan, the circle is the 
you know, the, the, uh, the symbol for a right answer. So it makes sense on the PlayStation controller that the circle would be the OK button or the action button. But, you know, we're, I guess it's because it's placed on the, the right. And I'm so used to that bottom button being the default um, that and also, you know, I played the game on my PS3 where the, the X button is the default. So to get into the game, I have to use the X button. But then once the game starts, you know, like I hit the, so many times I would hit the X for load game and it would go back to the title screen. Oh, man. I also played it on the PS3 and I had the same thing, but um, it doesn't really hit me as much because I think I'm used to playing with the Switch Pro controller and that's has the A button on the, on the right hand side. So I'm kind of. It isn't it isn't horrible for me, but I can totally get what you're saying. It 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 is especially on the PS3 because to like you said to get in the game, you're using you know like the American method, and then once you play it, you're like oh, oh right, I gotta flip everything about it. For some reason, I had an issue when it came to shooting the guns and having to hit square, and that would get me confused. I would always get like my muscle memory between the three buttons confused, and I would constantly like pull the gun out, and then accidentally close it before shooting it because I would get confused. But that's definitely just a me thing. No, no. They, um, I mean, it's more so in the sequels. I think I said in the chat that um, in Metal Gear Solid 2, to pull out your gun and then put it away without firing it is kind of like finger gymnastics. Uh, that's one of the things, even though it can be frustrating to play, I like about the series. They're, they they have, I wouldn't call them odd control schemes, but they're control schemes that other games don't use. So it's very singular to this series. And um, with this first game, it feels like it's beginning that journey. But yeah, they weren't quite there yet. Hmm. Yeah, I, I can also, like, it, it doesn't really quite feel like other games, but... It's funny because I, I I played the game twice like this year and on the first playthrough I I got really comfortable with it and then for some reason I just had a lot more issues with it like the second time even though I knew the whole game and it was only like a few months later for some reason like this second time I was having way more issues with certain things like well I think you had to help me you know with, with a certain like press R one to make sure you put your stinger away but besides holding out the menu that kind of thing mm. so yeah it for sure is a very unique way. In fact, it's interesting because I, I think like games nowadays use that kind of inventory system a lot more than like in the day. Because like yeah. if you think about it, it's like a a sub menu that's always like you know, like a button hold away. That's mm. really that's really familiar, in, at least in terms of like Skyrim or even like Tears of the Kingdom. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The um and, and and you could see kind of the radial menus that have become popular in the last ten years, kind of being an, an offshoot of that. Yeah, you know, I could totally see that. And I, I think it would have made it a lot easier to navigate because it perhaps it's just me, but it always felt like I was going backwards on it. It always felt like I pressed, you know, like up or down and I went the wrong way. Is that how you guys <laughs> yeah. felt? Yeah, no, I, I constantly got turned around in those menus. Um, in fact, during the final boss, when you have to switch between, um, I was switching between a couple different weapons for whatever you have to do there. And for some reason, or I was switching between having that weapon, the, the weapon you need for that, and no item. And for some reason, when you open it up, no item moves directly to the left. So when you move it to the left to go to no item, the next time you open up that menu, then the, then the, then the stinger is to the right. So then I would hit left and it would go two spaces the other way. 
and then I would have to hit right twice to get it to actually equip it. And it just got so disorienting. Honestly, like, obviously radial menus are, are great now, but specifically in the context of, of, of this game, I never quite got used to it. I kind of just wanted, like, a, a Zelda pause menu. Mm. Like, mm-hmm. I kind of felt myself, like, kind of feeling that throughout the entirety of playing MGS. I think it, um... See, on the one hand, I really, like, enjoy how it feels, but on the other hand, I really hate how it feels, because I swear, <laughs> you, you waste so much time just, like, sifting, because, again, when it's just, like, a horizontal line, I'm pretty sure it's horizontal, right? Or is it vertical? It's kind of both, isn't it? It's like way, in the corner. In, in the sense where, like, you're scrolling by all your stuff, you know, like, one at a time, it just takes so freaking long to get to what you need, especially hmm. if they're not yeah. close by, and... We all know how often you have to go back to your key card. <laughs> so it's just like, oh, oh God, let's go yeah. back in. Beep, 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 beep. There it is. Yeah. So or like, if you it, forget that you moved it and you walk up to a door and it's like. <laughs> God. <laughs> so in, in the intro, uh, you kind of get hit with a whole bunch of stuff, right? So obviously you get hit with, mm-hmm. wow, like this game is trying to do a lot of, inter- you know, a whole bunch of atmospheric touches you know you have like the puddles of water you have like the guards who will you will even say like hey what was that which i don't think i mean like dialogue like that when you're spotted you know especially like in 1998 i don't think that was that common so like it's it's really cool in that sense but also you get hit with the fact that oh man kojima wants this to be a movie real bad yeah yeah i was even gonna say um just the fact that it takes place like within one facility, like it's not like it's not like Mario or Zelda where it's like you go to a bunch of different places. Like it takes place within one facility, and you're you're infiltrating the one facility. That makes it feel so much more movie like relative to, for example, Ocarina of Time, where you've got like the whole darn field, and you got the mountain, and you got the the waterfall, and the desert, and all the temples and shit, like. This game is relatively very small in comparison because it's like a one military infiltration mission, kind of like, you know, Die Hard or whatever. So it's but, got but a you, very focused feel, like a, it makes it feel very movie-like. Well, well yeah, um, maybe this will uh, be more something we discuss at the end, but that's one thing that especially in the final hours of the game, I was thinking back along like the beats of the story and even just mm-hmm. a lot of the action set pieces and i'm like this is really kind of like paced out like a good action movie but um mm-hmm. it, it's funny you talk about different zones i mean when we're talking about the palky we have a fire zone we have an ice zone <laughs> <laughs> yeah you go to the different zelda temples in the fucking factory yeah that's a good point yeah i mean i almost wonder like which one came first like the idea to have those elemental areas or like the idea to have this cool key card that has to work in that way and then like in uh, so i'd be interested i I feel like with kojima he probably had the idea of the the key first because i feel like he's like a big ideas guy first whereas if this was like for example like nintendo like they're they're all about like gameplay so they'd probably think we should have a level where it's fire and level where it's ice how do we make that work how about a key that changes shape I would think Kojima definitely came up with the with the key in the story first because Otacon will not shut the fuck up about how it's a shape memory key. It changes shape based on the temperature around it. 
Uh, it's is, memory is, alloy. It's a is, is that, memory alloy. Is yeah. that going to be a is that going to be a bit true? Where just like throughout this discussion, you'll be going, Otacon just won't shut the fuck up. <laughs> yeah, it's stay, like I'm going to sound like I fucking hate Otacon, but the thing is, I actually like him a lot. Mm. <laughs> you know, I only have like one spot where I, I want to really give out about Otacon, but we're mm-hmm. not even close to there yet, so I'll hold off a little bit. We'll get and, and I know what there. that spot is, too. <laughs> I don't think you... If you do, you are crazy in my head, because I don't even think uh, I, I talked about it with you guys. Uh, okay, then, then oh. maybe it's not the spot I'm thinking maybe of. <laughs> um, but anyway, so like with this intro, uh, I don't think, you know, like in games at this point, you saw freaking credits roll you know and then the title drop as you get into the elevator i mean clearly they're trying to hit you over the head oh this mm-hmm. is pretty epic movie right bro mm-hmm. drew uh, so obviously like you were streaming it so i was able to see your reaction kind of but i mean like how, how cool was that moment even though this was like you know you haven't you didn't play it at the time this was way after the fact oh my god it was awesome because it's because they lock so they lock you in this first room and they say Oh, you got to get over to the elevator. You got to hide out until the elevator comes back down. I guess you're stuck in here. And they use that as the excuse to like kind of atmospherically play movie like credits like up in the corner or whatever while you're hiding from these two guards in a square room. And the elevator finally comes down. You know, maybe you're hiding out and you're like, oh, thank God. Maybe you got caught and you're like, oh, thank fuck. And you just sprint over there and you get in the elevator and then it cuts to the scene where uh, the guy you're playing as he was wearing a scuba suit, he slowly like undresses and then stands up and it like kind of pans up with him. It reveals your solid snake and then bam, Metal Gear Solid. Oh, it's real good. Mm. Very, very cinematic. Yeah. It feels great. Hell yeah. Hell very yeah. solid intro. Yeah, you can oh. say that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but and but then, um, you, you you talked about how the uh, that intro area is all also kind of like I guess either a tutorial or a showcase for kind of how the stealth works. Um, one one element I just want to bring up here is that uh, the exclamation mark sound effect when you get spotted by a guard is what? probably one of my favorite sound effects in gaming. Uh, like so good. If if I wasn't the type of person who always has my phone on silent because I hate ringers or notifications <laughs> of any type, but if I was the type of person who have a ringtone or a message tone, that would probably be it. But while I say that, and I love that sound, every time I hear it, I do get a bit of anxiety. Well, yeah, because you're freaking busted in your stealth mission. Yeah, it's See, so like, effective why... in what it does. That's why anytime I hear it, you know, because I, I, I know a few nerds, right? Anytime I, I hear that, like from a ringtone, I, I just think, well, at the time, I didn't I didn't think anything of it because I only played this game this year. But but after the fact now, I'm thinking I could never handle that because like you said, mm. Dave, when I hear that, that's not a good sound. You don't want that <laughs> sound to happen. So hearing it would give, ah, shit. <laughs> I'm under attack. So, uh... Throw coffee in face. <laughs> run away. Yeah. I will definitely say it was one of the it was one of the better video game references in Wreck It Ralph. I will have to say. Oh damn, they do do that, don't they? It's been I saw that movie when it was in the cinemas, and I can hardly remember a thing about it. Yeah, they they have a scene where where uh, Ralph is looking through like the lost and found, and he 
pulls up a thing. He's like, what the fuck is this? And it pops up. It's the exclamation part of the sound effect. He just tosses nice. it over his shoulder. It's so funny. Mushroom? No. What is that? No. After we get through the elevator, we have um, pretty much like tutorial round two, where it, even though we, mm -hmm. we were just like forced to... Like, we were almost, like, thrown in the fire, essentially, without- we weren't told much, you just have to not get caught in that area, you know, for however long it is, and then you have, have to go in the elevator. Now, it's like, oh, wait, <laughs> I forgot. We should probably tell the player what this game- like, what, what to do. So then you get the endless- I think it's, like, like, five to ten minutes of straight codec calls, introducing <laughs> all the- all the characters on the codec, and then they have- they go, Oh, press the- this button if you want to do this. Press the- this button. What's over there? That looks like a security camera. And also, by the way, Drew, I totally- I totally agree with you now. Like, the small cutscene where, like, they show the first security, uh, like, camera is placed in a terrible way. I- I got caught the oh same way God. because it- it- it tear- it takes away control from you to go, Camera? And then there's a the fucking guy's right there and he sees me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Dave. I don't know if you saw the stream, but I was trying to sneak around to where there's like stairs on the right side of the building, which is like, I think the optimal route to get in the building. And so I went like the long way around. I was trying to approach the stairs from like closer to the building. So like I went up north and was trying to go down south to veer onto the stairs. And then no matter what, like the camera sees you and there's a cutscene where it like snake sees it and he's like what the fuck there's a camera and then he just stands there and the first time that cutscene happened to me i was stuck like in the position and the camera just looked at me and i got busted it was so uh -huh. fucked <laughs> yeah i'd say in fact i even have that in my notes because at first like as i was watching it, i was like i mean it happened sure but isn't that big of a deal no i i, I think that's genuinely like the worst small bit no, of cutscene in the entire game because yeah, i didn't have any other over. issues at all but yeah. that one so stuck out to me well it, it's it's funny because the game does that purposely to really screw you when you first enter uh comm tower a and you have to run all the way up oh trust me anytime i saw a, cam oh. uh, a security camera after that point i i i freaking was as careful as i could possibly be yeah, yeah, so I guess Dave. I did learn my lesson, but it was a little bit janky. Uh, Chef grenades everywhere. Hey Dave. <laughs> yeah. Hey Dave. Yeah. We'll talk about Com Tower. Don't 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 you worry. Okay. Don't can, you worry. Can, can I just uh, ask something though? Um, you sure. you mentioned the the coda conversations of uh, you know the colonel saying snake. You know, actually the one I remember is when you first have to climb up the ladder to go visit the DARPA chief. He's like. Snake, use the action button. Where, where I want to bring that up because um, <laughs> in the context of this game, because I, I think Metal Gear Solid walks a very interesting line between serious and goofy. And it doesn't mm -hmm. really veer too far into one or the other. I mean, there are moments that kind of do, but I don't know, the way it plays it, just to me, it always seems like it's a little bit of both and never... While I think it's taking itself seriously, I also think it's having fun. Um, and so it, it's a very, um, I think it, it's a really hard balance. And one of the things I think that led, lends itself to that is how the Colonel is so um, upfront about you're playing a video game. If you want to do this thing, press this button where, you know, I other games do that. And it seems like it's... Um, 
it kind of pulls you out of the game because you're like, well, this character is just telling me how to play the game. There's, you know, it, it, I, I don't really feel a part of it anymore. Yet with Metal Gear Solid, I think the fact that um, they're just openly just talking to you and also that it's, it's a voice actor as well saying these lines very seriously. I, I don't know. It, it works for me and I think it shouldn't. Yeah, I kind of agree because like I do agree like it does work. But it shouldn't. Yeah, I, I like the way that you phrase that a lot because, yeah, literally the kernel is like, Snake, if you ever need to call us, press the select button on the PlayStation DualShock controller. You can access the quick access menu by pressing down on the control. Like, like just the f- he stays in character, like while delivering it. Like, it's not like it's a separate character that's just for the tutorial stuff. Like, they integrate it between each of the characters. Yeah, and, and, um, We'll we'll talk about it later, but you know that's kind of psychomantis's shtick as well. Oh boy, I can't wait to get into what he was talking about with me. Uh, <laughs> so I I, I have uh, two things to say about that. One, mm. I agree. Um, I I think it really like varies on the game because like there are certain games where I just think, oh, like this character is like saying controller stuff. Uh, okay, but it. There's almost like this wholesome, like adorableness to it. Like mm. when he, when I hear, when I hear mm-hmm. Campbell press the, like I love Drew's impression, press the select button. It's like, oh, okay, I will. Like it's just so adorable. <laughs> it's like anything for so, anything for you, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> but perhaps that's why I have him higher ranked on my list. But we'll get to that later. Uh, no, but so we could get into that now. But I, I think I'll hold off. Uh, mm. Even though you kind of addressed it, though, but I, I have I have the question. I don't have that many questions, right? So you basically stole one from me. I have a question, word for word, that it seems that like with Kojima games, they hang on a, a knife's edge of genius and stupidity. What are you know, <laughs> <laughs> what are some of the things you found incredibly impressive, and other things like you you happen to find outright silly? And I, I think with that, you, you you kind of already touched on it, but I I, I will say with me. I found, like, the first playthrough to be, I was just like, oh, Kojima is a genius. This game is is a masterpiece. I, I cannot believe, like, I was just jerking him off in my head. But I will admit, on the second playthrough, I was like, this game's fucking stupid. <laughs> There's so much about it that's so fucking dumb. And I know that's part of the appeal, but I was just like... Jesus Christ, Snake! What are you talking about, man? Like, what are you talking about love right now for? <laughs> well, first of all, now you're jerking him off in my head, uh, and second of all, um, I, <laughs> and second of all, I will have to say this game remains timeless because of the genius, like themes of the story that are that are very serious and are handled really well for the time in a video game, but also like hold up really well today. Like the discussion of the main theme of the game, which I'm sure we'll get to later, but it also stays timeless just through all of the fucking goofy stuff. Like you can't get on a fucking watch Mojo top 10 without hearing about like psycho mantis <laughs> or like the, the torture sequence or some shit like that, you know? And yeah. it really just all helps the game, like still have a clear identity because yeah. there's very few games that that do this sort of thing 
but still have that bent of being taken seriously as a as a military uh, action drama, basically with well, espionage, huge aspects of action. comedy. Yeah, yeah, well, because uh, espionage. Yeah, the the uh, the main premise of the game, right, is that terrorists have uh, taken a hold of this nuclear facility. And they're threatening to unleash a nuclear bomb. A lot of the game talks about how um, how lax the world has been in dealing with nuclear waste and all the warheads. And, you know, it really gets into, like, I imagine the reality of it is probably even more scary than what the game touched upon, especially, you know, like 20, mm-hmm. 30 years later. But in that same breath, the way they're going to launch the nuclear weapon is through a giant robot which was engineered yeah. by an otaku. Mm-hmm. It stands for, oh, man. Uh, what do these say? Like, otaku convention or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah the guy's code name is Otacon, which is short for otaku convention, yeah. <laughs> so so it's, it's that idea where, yeah, even, even if it is being serious, like you talked about themes and we'll get to it, but yeah, um, I, I know it affected you, Drew, but, you know, it has some, I guess really interesting and pertinent things to say about genetics and mm-hmm. uh, how, how your genes kind of play out into who you are as a person. But on the same, again, on the same wavelength, uh, we're talking about uh, super soldiers and, um, you know, like government <laughs> experiments. <laughs> right. And on top of that, just completely like smashing through the fourth wall to deliver tutorials and Literally just joke sequences and and that sort of thing. It, it really I'm, gives it because I think the closest thing like that comes to the front of my mind when it comes to telling a serious story and also just completely doing away with the fourth wall is probably like something like Undertale. But that is nowhere close to this because that's straight up like a comedy adventure. Whereas mm. this, you like still have the atmosphere because of the presentation and and then all the small touches of the reality of the world or that add to the reality of the world that this is like a serious like military drama but with all these goofy elements that still make it like have that what the fuck factor that sticks with people to play through it for the first time yeah mm-hmm. so um in this little snow area uh this is one of the only times in the entire game where you're able to leave like your footprints in the snow and like a guard can is able to spot it in fact Mm -hmm. in my upcoming video on star wars jedi fallen order i have the clip of me just going around and around and around and around he goes oh footprints oh footprints oh footprints (laughs) it's pretty funny but anyway (laughs) i think it's really interesting how there's a lot in this game that is surprisingly underused. For example, yeah. I'm pretty sure like there aren't even any more like puddles in the game. It was just that one intro area. And like with the snow, there's no there's no guards who can see your your footprints, I'm pretty sure anyway, in the entire rest of the game. Hmm. No, you're right. You're completely right. So <laughs> you're completely it's right. it's it's one of those things, again, this this could be its its own its own discussion thing, where you can see that there's a lot of care put into certain details, and even though they could be, you know, pretty minor in the grand scheme of things, like, for example, a guy, like, using, you know, the fucking toilet <laughs> or whatever, and, and you're able to choke him out, even though it could be, like, a one-time thing or, like, a one-off, you know, like, event, it seems like that uh, Kojima really cares about those small details, even if it's only going to 
be in front of the player for like three seconds. I, mean, I think you guys would agree on that, right? Yeah, oh, and yeah. and it's it's balanced out by a, a very tedious amount of backtracking that's baked into the main story. <laughs> yeah. We're not quite there yet, but I yes, know, but you are 100% right on that. It's kind of funny. we you know, just it's, started it's, the game. It's really interesting that you say that, though, Dave, because you're right. It, it contrasts hilariously, and which is pretty like fitting for this game, how there's a lot of it that's just outright stupid, right? But that's part of the fun, is how much it contrasts with like the core problems in like the later game, where there's a lot of cool like one-off moments, but it's like, well, there's a lot of drawn-out, just almost garbage later on, too. So it's just like, what on earth was going on there? Yeah. <laughs> and um not 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 even uh late game like i'm recalling when you have to f- go back and get the sniper rifle that's a big backtracking section and then when you escape from the torture chamber you're way back kind of at the start of the game i think i kind of like put all those in my head as just like oh all the backtracking bits and i think i just kind of push those to the end of the game which but i think you are right i, I would i would probably like consider like the sniper wolf section at least their first battle to be probably like right in the halfway point or so. But like the last thing that I, I wanted to mention about this area is, of course, you know, you have like your your cool items, you know, here and there. You're able to go out, uh, out everywhere to collect, which is neat. But I think the coolest part is that intro tutorial, small, like little cutscene thing. Because uh, you don't have any, you don't have control of Snake, but he still like moves around as if someone is controlling him. It isn't a cutscene in the sense where you get, get a cool angle on Snake hiding or, you know, like using his little scope thing. No, it's the exact, it's, it looks exactly like a, a, a person at Konami played the mm-hmm. game for, for a small bit mm-hmm. and like used like the scope and like he, in that, and, that, and like he walked backwards, you know, in that spot where you're able to like start playing. I, I just thought that was a really cool little moment. It is a really awesome moment. I like it a lot. Even if definitely, like, it's just programmed into the cutscene, you know, because they just say, oh, you know, Snake moves this way on the grid, opens menu, moves to this position on on the fucking Z-axis. Like, it just adds to, like, the reality even a little bit more because it's like, oh, I can actually, like, just do that. Like, that's not, like, a crazy dynamic camera angle cutscene action thing that I could never hope to do. Uh, in the game, like it actually just is part of what you can do. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. It, especially because one of the things I really uh, like about the game, especially this time through, was just how um, dynamic the editing is. Like, uh, codec conversations are kind of their own thing, they're a static image with minimal. Uh, movement or maybe a different facial expression here and there. Uh, there's a great one with Otacon later in the elevator. But uh, for the actual cutscenes, like, you know, angles and it, they, they always quick cut, like, like it really feels like action movie uh, cinematography. Like, it, it never hangs on anything too long. It uses, yeah, very dynamic angles. I'm thinking now when, like, um, Snake walks through the hallway to the to the ninja fight, how there's all those dead bodies in the hallway and, you know, it's really off-putting. And yeah, uh, just just the whole game, I really noticed that uh, when it comes to kind of even lighting certain rooms to have certain colors to evoke mood, mm-hmm. um, just just the, the presentation, because I also want to bring like not only the voice acting, but like the sound design, the music cues, like the presentation itself for a game from 1998, I think it is still immaculate. I agree. I agree completely. In fact, I, again, I played 
three to four 1998 era PS1 games all this year, essentially. And mm. I was just blown away. Why? I think that's why I, I liked it so much, you know, on the first playthrough. Because it's just, I, I couldn't believe how much, like, the background tracks would add to, like, the mood of everything. And, of course, like, the actual, um, like, voice acting itself was miles better than anything else on the ps1 at the time it's not even fucking close <laughs> like if, you can easily be like oh like snake has a cheesy voice here and there bruh like go play any ps1 game 1998 or, or before and be like oh this is what the contemporaries were huh wow yeah if you want to make fun of the voice acting in this game shut the fuck up and go play Star Fox 64 for two seconds <laughs> and then come back and we'll see who looks like a moron yeah it's it's weird wow. because it's it, it's weird because the meme is that you know David Hader's Snake is really cheesy and I think I bought into it over the years playing through the games even though I love the games and I think he's great as you know I was one of those people that got mad when David Hader was replaced with Kiefer Sutherland in Metal Gear Solid Five just you know and it's not even who's better it's just this man has been Solid Snake for the past four games I played and loved. I don't want someone different. And and it, it's I think it's that same thing where we talked about that balance between um, goofy and serious. Like Snake is completely serious, but he often has to say ridiculous things or, or kind of be exas- exasperated, you know, the Metal Gear. But, but I guess there's, it's not that the voice itself is goofy, but it, I guess there's a playful quality to it. Yeah, it's definitely got like a kind of like just generic Western action movie hero kind of vibe mm. to it, you know? But he definitely like is a talented voice actor, even if he's got to say like mouthfuls of ridiculous stuff. Like he can he can be serious when he needs to be. Like he brings a level of, of believability to the character. Like I remember earlier early on when... Um, you know, he just casually, like, throws a flirty comment at, like, Mei Ling or whatever. Like, he just delivers it very naturally. Like, it just sounds like, oh, like, I'm surprised that the character said that, but he just said it in the way that, it, like, it just sounds right for him, you know? Yeah, I agree. Like, again, there's a whole bunch of, you know, the actual content of his words. You could, you know, we could easily talk about how a whole bunch of it is like, oh, okay. But it's interesting <laughs> how well it comes off because, like, it doesn't even sound like he's trying to be cool. It just sounds like he's just himself. And I, I really like how often he keeps trying to downplay his legend. It's like, trust me, I'm, uh, you know, like, I'm just a guy. Like, this is just a job. Like, you know, there aren't any heroes in war. Like, I'm just like a fucking. It's just really cool how much, how grounded he is and how, mm-hmm. like, down to earth he is. And it, it contrasts well, I think, with Meryl. Uh, which I think we all have mixed feelings on, Drew. Uh, (laughs) But that that, that whole arc is its own thing. But it's interesting how, you know, you kind of have to have... You don't have to, but I think it it, it served the story well to have this, like, really green and, like, naive, I want to be, you know, like a war hero, and then just have them get fucking annihilated by a sniper and then just cry for mercy. It's it's great, (laughs) because it's a snake, and, of course, the whole moment... (laughs) And of course, the whole moment, like the whole moment, like through gameplay, after like you save Meryl, you know, or I think she saves herself. Actually, I shouldn't say you save her. She, she, I think she gets out herself um, when when she's when she's supposed to be helping you 
like shoot all the bad guys you know you have to take out the first wave yourself because she won't won't shoot the gun you know like it's really mm-hmm. cool how they intermix that mm-hmm. through the gameplay because of course they this game hits you hard so much with the dialogue and it's easy to be like mgs games are the kind of games where you put the controller down for 20 minutes but really there's a bunch of stuff that gets intermixed with the gameplay too and i i, I think the whole art the whole image of snake and like the contrast of Meryl just is an example of that. And, yeah. and uh, the the uh, the cheesiness, like you know, the bits that worked the least for me in terms of the story was the love story. And and once again, I thought about it in terms of being like a good action movie. And a lot of good action movies, well, not a lot of them, but some of them, like most movies, you know, they would have a a a, uh, a love interest. They would have kind of a romance angle as kind of a B story off to the side, even though this one's more woven in. Um, so I found the moments where they're talking about love uh, kind of ridiculous. It had nothing to do with the voice acting. Actually, I thought they all sold those ridiculous lines very well. But, you know, yeah, it, it was never the fault of the delivery. It was just, I guess, especially for those moments for me, it was such an out of left field tonal shift that I didn't think vibed with what the rest of the game was. It's like, it's kind of like, we're we're in the middle of this actual close to apocalyptic scenario, and then all of a sudden we're we're talking about like Valentine's Day in elementary school or whatever. <laughs> I, I completely agree with you. Like like say the line, Hal. Say, <laughs> you think love can bloom even on a battlefield? The fuck are you talking about? Where they're gonna shoot nukes at the freaking U.S.? Shut up. Yep. Yeah, that 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 scene is when I kind of I, I give Otacon the stink face, but uh, you know, yeah, we'll probably get there. You know, hang on, I will say, Dave, you know, you know that the <laughs> you give him the stink face. You and I both know what that means in wrestling terms. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's the yeah, little where Kishi yeah. puts his fat. His, yeah, his, I know. His I know. <laughs> Well, now I'm thinking about Dave I'll, giving I'll him the stink this out, face. Don't worry. <laughs> you can leave it in if you want. It's okay. It's funny. Okay. Do I raise an eyebrow? You know, basically, it was one moment where I'm like, "Really, Otacon? Really?" <laughs> yeah, but it does kind of tie into the to the you know whole ending spiel. Mm-hmm. So, like, I, I get it thematically, but in the moment, it really is just like, dude. You are such a freaking weeb. <laughs> he is really cringe. <laughs> yeah, he's insanely cringe. But, you know, we love him for it. He's got yeah, his moments. Well, once again, I like Otacon. Um, yeah, in this game. Uh, but, oof, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that definitely is his lowest point in terms of writing. I, I, I think I like pretty much everything else about him other than that. So, even though that line is so bad, <laughs> on, this last, on this last playthrough, I, <laughs> it isn't that funny. I'm just laughing a lot because I'm an idiot. But uh, I just love his lead up to it because he, he's like, well, Steak, I was kind of wondering, uh, have you ever fallen in love? <laughs> is that what you came up to ask me? Well, geez, no. Well, it, makes, just, it, sound, um... <laughs> it makes it sound like he's asking Snake out. He's like, yeah. Yeah, Snake, I was just kind of wondering, uh, and Snake is like, what? 
He's like, he's like, do you think love can like bloom on a battlefield? Sorry, bye. He runs away and Six's like, what the fuck are you talking about? How? And he calls no, him immediately on the codec he, while he's running away. He's like, how? What the fuck are you talking about? No, but he doesn't. He goes, I think love can bloom anywhere where there's two people. It's like, he's just totally into this idea. Like, oh, you know what? Adikon, I thought you were here for a dumb reason. But now that you've worded the question like that, I'll give you an answer. <laughs> Yeah, he, he's completely serious <laughs> and earnest about it. Yeah. He's like, anywhere there's two beautiful, conventionally attractive people. <laughs> yeah, I do. Tough luck, buddy. <laughs> yeah, maybe for me. Maybe for me. Probably not. You're probably a little bit down on your luck there, pal. Sorry. Nah, I'm going to go. I'm going to go stop a robot. Bye. Yeah, go, go back to your waifu. <laughs> <laughs> Go turn on one of your stupid Japan animation shows. I don't know. Watch Speed oh Racer. Oh my god! So now that we've already gone through, you know, like Meryl slightly and her, you know, hesitance towards shooting the gun, and we've also already covered the whole climb the ladder with the action button, we can move on to getting our way to Ocelot. Mm. Uh, but first, how cool is the part where you have to like find like the you know like the area in the wall where there's like the cement over it or something, and you have to blow it up with C four. I really like it. I like it a lot. I've I've always not really enjoyed those things from the early 3D Zeldas where they're like, you can hear what a hollow wall sounds like. Like, it's never been obvious to me. But in this game, like, they make it a lot more obvious. So it's a lot, like, more fun to lean against the wall and, like, just knock on it over and over again and just hear the difference in sound effects. Oh, you you did it that way. I I was using the first person view to. It's pretty obvious, you know. Like the the drywall is a completely different color. You know, it's interesting. I I was watching your stream, Drew, and like you know, I think obviously I was there, so you know. But I I was mm-hmm. like, oh, I didn't catch all these other areas you could use C four in to get extra supplies. So that was really neat, like to discover that like from your stream because I only found. I remember in the first playthrough, no, on my point. 07 playthrough because again i tried to play the game many times but in the past i I couldn't ever like break through the ocelot fight but uh i couldn't find it the first time through so i had to look up what i was supposed to even do and i'm like oh it's actually really obvious now that i play the game the way it wants to be played with the first person view and and hitting the walls and stuff so it it just Mm -hmm. it was was one of those things where it's like i wasn't in the right headspace to play the game like it wanted to be played Whereas, right. like, the time I really enjoyed it, I approached it with, like, here's how it, here are the controls, here's how it wants to be played, let's enjoy it. And it worked out. So, after this, we have our first encounter with Revolver Ocelot. Yes, what, what is he called? Shalashaka or something in Russia? I do not know. Is um, that a thing he says? I think it was uh, the second time you're getting tortured, he starts talking about his own past. Uh, I, I only went through the torture two times. I think, you, Drew, you went through it maybe three, was it? Yeah. So the Ocelot fight, I actually had a really... So I've been sitting on this copy of MGS for like three years. Um, and when I did it, I got through the Ocelot fight and then I like stopped and I just didn't get around back around to it. But I had a tough time with it then... I swear I had to do the try the fight like six times. Hmm. Um, but this time, and Dork saw this on, on stream, I walked into the Ocelot fight and I just like clocked his ass like 
instantly. Like I had a little bit of trouble, but I got him first try, even though I haven't played in like three years. Mm, so I, I did pretty, not have trouble with it this time. I was pretty surprised because I remember like he he's a boss I always have trouble with because I think like the actual aiming controls. I don't know how it feels in the PS1 because I think they have more of like the context. No, they have more of like the analog buttons there. I don't uh. think that's how it works on a PS3 controller. So, I, again, I don't know if that's the issue or not, but I cannot for the life of me aim this fucking gun and shoot it. I'm so bad yeah. at it. Well, it's also, it's also tough because, like, so here's what I noticed when I played this three years ago that didn't pose me any real trouble this time, but it's always bugged me, is that in this game, Snake doesn't turn until after you press the button. So if you notice, if you press the button the the action latency is literally like you if you tap it like if you looked down at your controller and looked at yourself tapping the button and then you looked up then you would see snake turn like mm. it takes that long to turn so in this type of fight it is excruciating i also noticed like with the whole like turning thing and like this isn't just exclusive to this it also happened in like the elevator for example but Oh my goodness! I, I am really, guys. I think you know. I'm really accustomed to twin stick shooters. I, I'm, I'm. I'd say I'm pretty good at them. But this is not even. Cl this isn't close to that. This is a D pad where you think, oh, if I, if I point this way, he'll aim that way. Uh, maybe. <laughs> or you're supposed to hold, you know, like right and left until he turns 360 degrees. Like it, I don't, I don't, I could never really feel comfortable with like him doing any kind of, like, pivots or any kind of, like, turns while I'm aiming, ever. The whole game, I can never feel comfortable with it. I, I just had a realization. Maybe this is the way it's supposed to be played. Maybe not. So one of the things, uh, this is just jumping ahead, but one of the things that I really hate about the final action sequence in the game when you're in the car, the easy way to do it is to kind of put your thumb over the triangle and square buttons so you're you're entering first person mode and then you hold down the the uh the gun button and you can kind of like spray and pray back and forth and the whole game i've just been using the square button i like hold it down till i see like you know the 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 aiming laser line and then i kind of adjust and let go and he fires the gun or he you know shoots the automatic famus um but maybe you are supposed to enter first person every time you want to shoot a weapon. I That's interesting because I don't think I even tried that. And I kind of feel like I should have. And like you just kind of like sparked something in my brain. I don't want to go grab it. But I just bought like the Twin Snakes remake on the GameCube. And hmm. I was talking to the clerks there. And I, of course I had heard that it's not, it, you know, it isn't like a one-to-one -one remake. But they also happened to mention that like they changed a few things to more like match what Kojima envisioned in the first place. And the one thing I will say is I noticed on the back of the game, there was a screenshot of the game where you're in like first person mode w holding a gun. Oh, I, I, I wonder if that was that intentional. Yeah, yeah, because um, the Twin Snakes is made using the Metal Gear Solid 2 engine. And in Metal Gear Solid 2, anytime you pick up a gun, it goes to a first person mode. And anytime you aim a gun, sorry. What the fuck? Oh, so I almost wonder if, if, if that's... Well, I, I guess you could have the discussion then in, like, MGS2. Is that what, you know, like, he, he wanted you to do the whole time? Or is that, like, a, actually, I think you should do it this way kind of thing, you know? It, it's hard to say because, yeah, um, that's in Metal Gear Solid. That's how I got through the, the car chase at the end. And But it's it just doesn't work. I think that's because... Um, no matter what you're doing in the game, the, the shooting does not feel good. It, it, it's like the, you know, it's supposed to be a stealth game, yet it, 
again, uh, later on, we'll talk about that. It it really isn't, but yet it feels like they wanted to de-incentivize the run-and-gun action approach because um, anytime you kind of have to uh, use the weapons, um, I mean, it's different with the sniper rifle and the stinger missiles or even the Nikita. Well, the Nikitas are their own thing. Um, and I'd love to talk about those because they frustrate me. But uh, those are kind of, I, I guess they're designed around their boss fights, right? And they are using the first person just when you, you aim them. You can't use them any other way. Uh, but but for your regular weapons, the the what's this pistol called? It's not the SOCOM. It's the... Um, I don't remember what it's called, but but his his it's... pistol and and the famous are both, you know. I spent the whole game just pressing the gun button, and I was shooting in a third person mode. You know the way I play the rest of the game. It was only at the end of the game where, yeah, going to that first person mode for the base guns, and it's not great. I would say like that's why I had such a huge problem with the Ocelot fight on my first playthrough. I think I did a lot better like this. The second time, it took me two tries. But on the second try, I was able to actually get him through, like, the pillars. I was able to take, like, the diagonal shots like I wanted. Like, I think most people probably do. Because I was able to hit him once, and then he ran. And then I was able to snipe him through, like, a little, you know, like, you know, like in the middle of, of all, all the, like, pillars and stuff. So, I, yeah. I'd say just the aiming is, is, is so hard. Especially because this boss fight is obviously you have to use the gun. That's all you have. Mm-hmm. So it's right. just it's like the first it, it, major tough. section where you have to, yeah. Yeah, it's, and it's interesting because like there are there are other cool boss fights where you have a little bit more room if like what you want to do. I think this is how it is in a ton of games where you eventually get a lot of options in combat. Those first few encounters though, and like that first in that first boss, that's pretty catered to exactly what they wanted you to do. And what they wanted you to do is get used to the. I'm pretty sure it actually is called the SOCOM. They, they want you to get used to it and fucking win with that. Because I don't think you can do it any other way. You can't. I, I think I tried it. I, in fact, I tried using the C4. Cause that's one of the only things you have with you. And it didn't work. So, you know, shit. <laughs> it's, it's, it, in contrast, a lot of other boss fights, you can use things you might not you know, like think you could. Uh, and I'll get to that later. But this one is very much, here's how the fight is programmed. You better fucking get, you better get good, right? And, and uh, I know you, you mentioned this happened in one of your playthroughs, but that was my memory of that fight when I first played the game back in the mid-2000s or so. The uh, Trying to shoot him through the pillars and hitting the bomb on uh, President Baker and then uh, blowing the whole room up. Which is kind of crazy if you think about it, that that is a failure state, because that happens anyway. <laughs> yes, it does. I will say I think it's really cool that you can you can like just end the fight by like running into the into all the tripwires and just exploding and you're like, game <laughs> over. Like obviously like the threat is real because they literally present that to you before the fight, but it's really cool that they punish like that, that they give you the obvious consequence for just going ahead and, and doing it anyway. Dave, if, if you happen to have anything you're really dying to say that kind of relates to this fight, right, right now is a good time for it. Well, um, because uh, Ocelot loses his arm after the fight, uh, this is the only time uh, that you get to see him doing his gun tricks, like before the fight starts, <laughs> yeah. he does all that fancy uh, pistol spinning. I I just really like him as a character, you know, I, 
I like the idea of someone who's really um, an expert with like these archaic pistols. Um, his his like facial hair and demeanor. The the name is kind of ridiculous, and um, I I think his voice is great. His voice is really good. Mm-hmm. I I Thank you me. know <laughs> Drew, you were talking about like trying to like read more audiobooks. <laughs> An audiobook from <laughs> Ocelot would be pretty sick. <laughs> oh my god, that would be fucking amazing. But you know what's even better than just his voice? His little finger tricks with the mm-hmm. gun. Yeah, the, the fucking thing around. the sound effects. Uh, okay, I, I don't want to. Again, I'm, I'm getting a little excited here, but I, I am serious. I love the yeah. the sound effects for the guns. Yeah, twirl. they're so and iconic. He, and he, it, it's it's so he keeps going. It, it lasts longer than you think it should, but it doesn't. <laughs> it, it doesn't seem ridiculous. It it is ridiculous. It is, but it doesn't seem like you're going. Oh come on, this is dumb. You're just going. Oh, he's still going. <laughs> yeah, well, you're it, like oh. Hoo, hoo, hoo. It's like when you're like watching somebody like chug a drink, and you're like hoo, 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 hoo. And you're just spinning the guns. I I don't know if other games. I can't really think of too many other games that did it before or since, but uh, it, it kind of uh, starts a trend where um, before a boss fight in Metal Gear Solid, you get the boss introduction and it it shows you this really eccentric, uh, often intimidating character, uh, but, but they mm-hmm. all have such personality. Are you saying MGS inspired Dead Rising? Yeah. Oh, that, Dead Rising does have that thing, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. If well, look, I haven't played the first two, the good ones. I've only really seen like you play through three, uh, which looks terrible. And I would say they took the wrong lessons from it. But uh, <laughs> the imagery of the freaking like lady who, uh, you know what? Uh, we'll just, just move on from that. We don't need to yeah, talk yeah, about Dead so Rising foul. three. You know. But yeah, but but that yeah, game that sucks that, and we hate it. <laughs> that that idea that um yeah uh, every 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 boss in this game uh the, I guess there's exceptions but but like because the game also kind of prepares you for that um when I can't remember if it's in the intro intro or when snakes you know uh, swimming into the the basement area but. Uh, they go, or when Naomi's on the codec, but they go through all the members of Foxhound. You know, they name them, and I think they give them little introductions as well, or just explain them. So you kind of got a, a taste of, oh, there's these this group of characters that I'm probably going to interact with that sound really interesting. And also, I love the idea that if, if you've been paying attention, one of them is called Decoy Octopus. And I remember, like, you know, my first time um, through, mm. it was getting to the end of the game. I'm like, but where is Decoy Octopus? I was thinking about that a little bit, too. And then, you know, they hit you with, like, one of the better twists in the game. Mm. You know, it's interesting because um, I-, I don't have a perfect, you know, blind playthrough experience. Because I'm pretty sure I saw, like, Matthew's review prior to me playing it. Because I'm just like, I want to watch his stuff. And I, don't, I can't get through the game. I tried. So I, that was my, like, mm-hmm. hey, I tried, right? But um, I, I will say on, on, on like this playthrough, I really noticed how much they hinted towards it in quite a few ways. So I'm actually interested in, in hearing if anyone else out there um, on their first playthrough was able to understand as it was kind of being like, you know, like shown to them, you know, through the whole here is the actual corpse and it's way more decomposed than it's, than it's supposed to be, you know, that kind of thing. 
or even like in mm. the small like bits of dialogue with Ocelot, because th- th- they hint at it pretty often that um, the actual like DARPA chief he like died in torture. You know, a- after a while you you hear that with, with Ocelot and and Liquid. So I- I'd be curious if anyone you know didn't happen to hear it until like at the very end and went like, oh okay, or there are still people c- kind of confused at the end, like almost like you were, Dave. Yeah, I'm just thinking about that. The uh, the foreshadowing. Yeah, it was really interesting. Um, not only that, but uh, I, I think what kind of throws you off the scent, because, you know, yeah, the the, um, the decomposed body being in your cell at that halfway point is quite a um, a reveal or, or, or a hint towards what, what's going on. Although, you know, you weren't, I, I think maybe they mentioned that Decoy Octopus was a master, you know, master of disguise. I mean, yep. it's in mm-hmm. there in the name, but... Uh, the thing I think that throws you off the scent as well is not just that uh, you haven't seen Decoy Octopus and there's something odd with the DARPA chief, but it's the way the DARPA chief and President Baker die, the, the whole Fox die thing, which you don't find out about like way till the end. But mm-hmm. but that, that idea that, you know, um, something weird is going on with uh, at least those two deaths at the start of the game that even the bad guys don't seem to really know about. Yep. Oh, yeah, that's true. You know what I like about those death scenes that they really make they literally make you feel it because they mm-hmm. really use the rumble properly. It was really great. The game has a lot of that. Oh, yeah, we'll get to one of my favorite use cases later. But oh, I think that's yeah. that's everyone's favorite use case. Yeah, Pro- probably. I, I, yeah. But OK, so in terms like we're still kind of like tangentially on Ocelot. So mm-hmm. oh, it, I realize we're very far into the podcast, but we're only just now going to actually talk about it. So what we're going to do is we're going to rank all of the bosses, at least how all of us like felt about them. We, we already have our rankings, you know, on our little sheets next mm. to us. And what we're going to do is I'm going to be like, all right, how did everyone feel? Like, like Or like, what was everyone's ranking for this? There's mm-hmm. in total 11 boss fights. Um, well, at the very least, that, that's what like we, we've already like agreed to all the ones we're, we're counting. Yeah. So in total, there's there's 11 if someone says one, this is their favorite boss fight. If someone says 11, that's their least favorite boss fight. I think that's how we're all doing it, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. So, Drew, Ocelot, let's hear your number. I put uh, Revolver Ocelot at number eight out of 11 because Dave? he's really oh, boring. <laughs> really boring? <laughs> Because he's the first boss fight, so he's just inherently going to be the least interesting. I think something I want to clarify about my list, I think you guys will probably agree with me, is that like the ones I really, really like and the ones that I really, really hate only take up a couple spots. And so I think like four through eight, which is like five entries, are just like, I'm just like, I'm just like... They're pretty much all right next to each other. Like well, I am just like whatever. Yeah. I, I I agree. Um, that's actually why for my NES videos, when I do my ranking at the end, I call it arbitrary because mm. uh, you you hit it right on the money. The stuff you really like and the stuff you really dislike, they they instantly go to the top and bottom of the list. It's very easy mm-hmm. to place them. Everything else is really in the middle. It and it it does seem so like you know. Well, today I put this over this, but if you ask me tomorrow after my coffee or you ask me tomorrow, like before bed, I might change them or put them somewhere else. You know, it's that idea mm-hmm. that um, 
the middle of the list really is the middle of the list. Listen, yeah. listen. I totally get what you guys are saying, but we're role-playing here. This list is important. <laughs> okay. Okay, okay. So, Game face on. So, eight for Drew. Dave, I'll see your number. Well, I also want to argue that the 11th fight, which I think we've all got the same at number 11, really isn't a boss fight and shouldn't count, but uh, we can get to it. that we're later. We're not getting there yet. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so, but the reason I bring that up is if we're ignoring number 11, for me, Revolver Ocelot is at number five, so straight in the middle of the pack. Mm, mm. Yeah, that's fair too. That's fair too. So I, I, I like the character, and I think the like of the character and his introduction, and even what happens afterwards, lends a lot to enjoying that sequence of play, even if the fight itself isn't more memorable. I will say the stuff above it, I think it's the fight itself that, you know, helped uh it rise in my ranking i mm. yeah um i have ocelot at eight just like drew huh. and nice. um see like mechanically how i'm seeing it is it's pretty it's just there you know mm -hmm. but i would say it isn't horrible and all the surrounding factors totally make it just like a fun sequence you know mm -hmm. as we've all talked about already so yeah Eight, eight, and five. That's that's pretty decent for Ocelot. He he's a, he's a, he's a lovable guy. I think we all I think we all enjoy him as a character. But oh, as yeah. a boss fight, sorry, bud, not really cracking anyone's top three here. So uh, we're gonna just move yeah. on now. And I don't <laughs> think he died, so I think he'll he'll get a better chance to shine again when he shows up if he shows up later in the series. Well, well he, he he had that wonderful post credits uh, conversation. That's right. That's right. That's right. I forgot so about that. I don't that. think we're anywhere close to done with this i hope not because he, he i <laughs> so like speaking about like like david Hayter, i i hope if he is again so like like drew and i haven't played mgs 2 or 3 yet or I, I guess even 4 so if he does end up in any of those games um we don't really know so we're, we're not well, really interested in all the spoilers but i will say i if if, if he is i hope he has the same voice actor because his voice actor is just so great yeah, I think it was mm -hmm. Doug Stone. Doug Stone was either Ocelot or Liquid, and I love Liquid's voice too. So, um, but both his, his voice actors did a phenomenal job. Yeah, yeah. So um, after Ocelot, uh, there's of course a whole bunch of cutscene stuff, which we kind of already talked about. Uh, this time it's President Baker, right? He's he's the guy mm -hmm. who dies from Fox die, um, which is well, more importantly the back of the CD case. Mm, yeah, mm. here's a, he a extremely extremely long Kodak conversation. Sorry, I shouldn't even say Kodak. Extremely long just cutscene afterwards where we see what we know or at the time like we only know is like ninja, you know, freaking come in and chop off Ocelot's hand and we're like what the heck is mm -hmm. that guy? And then a just gigantic exposition dump with uh <laughs> Uh, Baker, as he's on his last breath, I'm glad he he felt the need to just get out everything about this with it, his it last ten minutes of life. Well, well, um, I was going to bring this up for maybe the more uh, the the boss fights themselves, but Baker is a good example of um, this. Is basically what Assassin's Creed does in their dying breath in those games. The the people you assassinate, you have this long conversation with. Them. Are you saying MGS inspired not only Dead Rising, but Assassin's Creed? <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it inspired a ton of games, but yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, no, yeah, th this it, is it one of those, um, I think this is one of those titles that really had reverberations through the industry. Oh, definitely. 
absolutely. E- even even like just you know even like just from like a holy cow, we can make you know like games look like a movie. Okay, which has its pros and cons as we're seeing now in the industry. <laughs> you know, obviously Kojima had a real. Yeah, I, I almost wonder how the industry would look, you know, if he didn't want to make his games look like a movie. But I guess well, we, uh, we won't we won't go down that rabbit hole. Um, I'll just say though, you know, because he he did it very well. The thing is, ever since CD-ROM technology became available, um, most mostly on the PCs from the early '90s, the game industry went through a phase of, you know, actually hiring actors and using green screens. So they were games mm-hmm. in that era especially on PC, were much more movie-like, and that was a selling point. And I have fond memories of many of those titles because I grew up with them. But uh, when it comes to acting and storytelling, uh, most of them are are garbage. They're hot garbage. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my God. So there's this huge conversation with uh, Baker. And I I think what's really funny is, um, so obviously this is a huge moment. This is a huge like breaking the fourth wall moment that I think everyone loves, obviously Drew as well, where he, he kind of goes, uh, oh, you should contact Meryl. Oh, I, I forgot her codec. Oh, I know. It's on the back of the CD case. <laughs> but you have to so, go over to your shelf and be like, wait, what the fuck? And sure enough, there it is. There's, so, her, there's you talking to Meryl, and it has the number you're supposed to type in. He, he, here's something that uh, made me laugh because I never thought of it this way before. I've, I've loved this, you know, uh, f- every time I played the game, the first time it, uh, I didn't know it was coming. So it was like, whoa, that's, uh, you know, that I've never actually played a game that did something like that. But, but maybe it's uh, the cynic in me now where I'm like, this is a very clever uh, form of copy protection or DRM. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's funny because a whole bunch of like PC games had stuff like that. We had to enter in a big code off of like the yeah. off of, like the actual like CD case, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it, it's really if it is that it's integrated very well. But you have to admit, I don't think that's what no. like Kojima was trying to get at. But it is it is kind of funny how how much that resembles it in a way. But what's so interesting about when he says this, at least for me, is that. <laughs> And, and on each playthrough, I was still, like, dumbfounded. Even when I was watching Drew, I was still dumbfounded. They place it in the middle of, like, a 15-minute cutscene. And at the end of it, <laughs> yeah. at the end of the cutscene, I, I was trying to keep all this shit in my brain, right? Because mm. I'm trying to give this game the serious attention it deserved. It's a serious game. And I'm just trying to think of all the stuff I got to do afterwards. Like, okay. Uh, uh, and I, I, I think I forgot to call. In fact, the second playthrough, I forgot to call Meryl. I had no I was like, what the fuck? Where the fuck am I supposed to go again? I don't understand what to do. And then I'm, I think I, I forget if I if I asked you, Dave. I don't remember if I did. If that was one of the times, but eventually, eventually, I think I must have looked it up or something. I'm like, oh my god, I forgot. Cause 20 minutes ago, fucking President Baker is like, call Merrill on the thing. Just, <laughs> it's just insane oh how god, long yeah. you have to wait to actually do the thing he tells you. Cause you don't get a log of the conversation. You just have to keep it in your brain. Yeah, I will say that. Um, I, I didn't try this myself, but I assume that, you know, uh, it, it's what I did for every boss fight. You know, the instant the boss fight started, I would go to the codec and see what everyone had to say about how the fight worked. Um, but I imagine there were a couple times where I was uh, confused about what to do next. Like when you um, first have to grab the PAL key from, it, you know, it, it falls, it gets shot out of your hand and it falls down, you know, below Metal Gear. 
And so, so like I called Campbell and he was able to go, you know, use your mind detector, snake. Um, so I, I imagine if you called Campbell, he probably would have reminded you to call Merrill. But um, yeah, no, you, you're, you're right on the money because as well, that President Baker conversation is really interesting because that's when he's starting to talk about just how inept uh, all the countries have been about stockpiling their nuclear weapons, disposing of the waste, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a, that. It's a very, very. It's it's a very great cutscene, but it's just interesting how it's like. Here's what you should do next, but now I'm gonna talk ten minutes about like the problems with like you know like nuclear stuff around the world. It's it's a, a very interesting, and I love this all the stock footage. It, it's a it's a big meme now with all of these these games, all the stock footage stuff. But I love it. I, it creates this like sense of. Almost like you're in school and here's like a history lesson kind of thing, just out of nowhere. It's so fun. It is really hilarious because it's a little, it feels like Kojima being like, hey, here's my thought on state of the world in current day. But like, it ironically has aged insanely well. Oh yeah, absolutely. Because at the time, of course, this was, this was obviously we, we are still in like the post-Cold War era, but I, I think like nuclear stuff is, is just going to be... A topical topic is that redundant to say <laughs> for for quite a while because <laughs> that's the age we're living in now where it's like well we've kind of advanced to just nukes and that's really the end game so let's hope we don't f up each other with nukes <laughs> that's, that's basically mm-hmm. all we're doing now anyway so after that let's see what we got here i think pretty pretty quick we we, we have like the next boss fight with uh vulcan raven in the tank now, I know this one isn't super popular, but like prior to me asking your rankings, uh, actually, how about for this one, I'll, I'll ask you guys, you know, each of your rankings first, and then I'll have you guys explain. So I'm going to start with you, Drew. Uh, so <laughs> Vulcan Raven in the tank, what is your number and could you elaborate? Uh, I put it at six. Like I said... I think I just liked it a little bit better than than Ocelot because you got to think a little bit more to to put your tools to good use, you know, just be a little bit more scrappy out in the snowfield. Um, that being said, like I said, like four through eight on my list is like they're all pretty much smushed together anyway. Um, so it's only like I only put it a little bit above Revolver Ocelot. Um, Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I would say, uh, for me, I have him at 10, um, which mm. is almost the last place in the list. And it is, well, I, I guess I won't like spoil what I have at, at number 11. But uh, I, it's one of those fights that just, even even like when you would do it right, and like you know exactly what you're doing, it still, it, it still feels kind of awkward. Um, I like the whole, mm-hmm. you know, you have to... Also, it feels extremely annoying anytime you have to, like, a- a- every time that you die and have to restart it because you get the whole Kodak conversation about just, there's a whole bunch of stuff that happens prior to it. I think, like, Deep Throat, he contacts you right away, and then it's like, oh, like, there's mines everywhere, and you have to, have to like, watch out for the mines, mm-hmm. and then you, he, then once the tank actually starts, he shoots you back, and then you're way back again, and you gotta do it. And, and then once you actually have have the fight on lock it's just you kind of run around and you're like here's a chaff grenade and here's a grenade and hope the tank doesn't run me over which happened to me a few times and it's just very <laughs> annoying when that happens and then you feel like you're in like the looney tunes cartoons but it's just 
I don't know. The only thing I think was really cool at the fight was like the dialogue prior to it because um, Woken Raven says, uh, "Snakes don't belong in Alaska. Crawl on the ground like the snake you are," or something like that. And actually, that is a good strat to approach him. There's a small hill, and if you do what he says, crawl on the ground, you will avoid the you know all the incoming damage from the tank, which I think is very fun, and That's even hilarious. cooler than that. Um, this is not where I, I like learned about this, by the way, but if you crawl on the ground over like a mine claymore, you can grab it and yeah. it goes in your inventory. So that isn't a thing I learned until way, way later, but I think I almost wonder if that was a hint towards that too, you know, mm. who knows? Yeah. Now, Dave, I, I want to hear, I want to hear, hear like your number first, if you don't mind. Yeah. yeah well, I, actually mine's exactly where yours are is I put it at 10. Um, yeah. and the, the reason is um, inconsistency. Both, uh, mm-hmm. like, I think the idea is really cool, like how you can throw grenades in the open top of the tank, and then that will force the guy out, and then you can, you know, shoot him. Um, because even though it's a Vulcan Raven fight, he never actually appears in the fight itself. Um, but, like, sometimes... I would throw the grenade and it would hit perfectly. And then other times it felt like it was the exact same angle, the exact same throw, and then it wouldn't work. Same thing with, you know, aiming the gun at the guy in the tank. It just, it was very frustrating for me because I never felt like um, what I was supposed to do would actually happen on any given attempt. I don't think I knew you could shoot the guy. I think I just kept throwing grenades the whole time. But it's interesting that you hit that because I, I think I think awkward and inconsistent kind of like sums up the you know this whole fight as well because um, as you said uh, I I guess I wouldn't have even even like thought you could aim at him because you aren't at the same level as he is you know he's in a, in a tank higher yeah. than you and you're on a two D plane essentially so and it's also interesting how like the problems with the controls just like permeates almost every fight that isn't really straightforward because this one. He, mm. Although it is kind of straightforward in one sense, it, it's not really if you don't know what to do. And 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 the control issues, especially that this being so early in the game, still, if yeah. you're not totally comfortable with them, it can. I I wonder if this was like a brick wall for a ton of players who were trying to give it a, a shot but weren't super invested. And once they found this fight, they're like, ah, oh, fuck it, I'm not playing this game anymore. It, it wasn't just this fight. Um, I never felt comfortable with the controls up until the end of the game. Um, that inconsistency, one of the biggest things for me is it was actually the the area after this fight where I finally keyed into how useful it is to uh, choke the guards out because they usually drop something. you know. And, and it also, I guess it plays into that, that stealth fantasy where before this, I was actually just avoiding everyone. I was doing, you know, a, a ghost playthrough. And then finally in like the, the, the nuke repository, the next zone, I started, it, it was more difficult to do that. So I started waiting till, you know, like their backs were turned and I would choke them out. And it was great when it worked because of, again, maybe this was easier on the PS1 controller. You brought that up before, Dork. But yeah, with, with the way the PS3 D-pad worked, um, it just, you know... I, I was either too far behind them, so when Snake went out to grab them, nothing happened, and I would inch a little closer, and maybe I would just hit one too many times, and Snake would run into the guy, and the guard would alert, and everyone would come down at me, and I'd, I'd sigh and just let them shoot me so I could redo the room. Yep. Yep. Mm. 
that happened to me a lot of times too. It's interesting. I don't want to like deviate too much, but mm-hmm. how um, like Tenchu, as I was playing it, again, awesome game, and it's also like a stealth game, as I said earlier. But it's interesting how each of these games, in a way, you know, encourage you to not be super stealthy. Because I guess what what I picture as like the ultimate like ultimate sneak master guy is you don't get caught. Like the people didn't even know you were there, kind of thing. Um, whereas like in Tenchu, if you don't, if you don't kill anybody, you're not going to get the best ranking, you know, in the level and you want the best ranking because you unlock a new item essentially. Um, whereas, and and as you're saying here, if you don't, if you choose to not choke out every guard you see, you're not going to collect all the, I'm guessing extra ammo and rations, right? Mainly. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, at the end, there there are certain parts on this playthrough. I really could have used more rations. I was... Mm -hmm. On, on death's door with one ration at times. I can't believe I got through certain boss fights with, with that health. And, you know, it's funny, I, I didn't put, you know, two and two together until you, until you said that. I was doing a really good job of avoiding every enemy this time. Mm. And I got punished for it, essentially. Yeah. So, with Vulcan Raven tank, uh, that's how I have it in here, we have two tens and six. So two tens and a six. Boy, we have, we have, this game is not trying to lead with its best foot with with boss fights. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, it is not. Um, so if you're able to get past this, um, a short while like a a short while later, I believe um, it's the first time you acquire the Nikita, and you have and you... to shoot it through the very long hallway where there's like a gas chamber thing where if you go in there. Yep. Like you start to lose oxygen, mm-hmm. and you have to hit the electrical panel the exact right way. Dave, mm-hmm. I feel like you have something to say about this part. Well, well, I think the idea is interesting. Um, I don't like the fact that... Uh, I'll, I'll go through a couple things I don't like about this sequence. <laughs> one one okay. is if you, if you do have the gas mask, the gas mask doesn't stop you from losing oxygen and then health. Uh, it just slows it down, mm-hmm. which I think is silly. If you got a gas mask, you should be protected. Um, but I guess they wanted to create, you know, ha- still have moments of tension because there's a lot of explorable area in that, in those side rooms if you want to do it. And I did go through most of those doors just to collect mm-hmm. things. Um, the thing I find is interesting about the Nikitas, but it's also what I hate about them, is the idea that uh, if you let them go in one direction too long, they start to accelerate. And that can be really difficult to uh, keep control of. So, so I, I don't know if you both did this, but uh, every time I used the Nikitas, it was almost I was like snake uh, or, or stair, you know, creating stairs with them. I, I wouldn't let them go in one direction for more than a couple seconds because I didn't want to lose control as it sped off. Drew, is that how you handled this? Or, or yeah, were you just going, I, I'm going to have it go as fast as possible and do a sick drift? <laughs> no, I, I tried to have confidence with letting it just fly, but I, there were tons of moments where I just, just like, wait, I, wait, and I like adjusted it like five times and I just slowed everything to a crawl, which actually mm-hmm. did cost me a lot of missiles because there's a fucking gun camera right yep. there. So if you like slow yep. down too much and adjust too much, it'll just shoot it and then you're down a yep. missile. Wild, right? Yeah. That's it. It's funny because on the first playthrough, I remember that being a total nightmare. Mm. And I was like, this is so cool, but will I even have enough, like, fucking... Will I, will I even have enough missiles to do this? Because I, I kept wanting to do it where it's like, go, 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 turn. Go, 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 turn. Because it, it feels coolest that way, you know? Like where yeah. you hit the turn right at the right time. And I was trying to time it out in my head. 
And like this playthrough, I, I think I did it. The, my, I think I did it the first try, and I was just like snake, snake, snake it, snake it, snake it. Exactly like you said, Dave. And um, I was able to get you know the first try. I'm like, well, good, because I remember that being a pain the first time through. So I'm glad that was easy this time for me. <laughs> snake it. Yeah, exactly. I, I think it's a good pun. I was surprised how you didn't like the pun. So yeah, it was good. Oh, uh, I, I, I didn't really. I, I didn't recognize didn't it until just then. I guess I was slow on the uptake. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Because you even said like uh, anyway, so, yeah, yeah it's it's uh, that the whole room is interesting. Again, I, I think what we're seeing though a lot of like you know you know small like one off little things because there aren't that many places that have like an oxygen running out thing. The only other time I I know for certain is if you get caught in a certain area where you can't use your weapons or something like that. Um, so oh, it's oh. interesting how we keep getting like you know here's here's a section that's only like this small little bit of gameplay, and then after that we move on. Well, uh, the, the gas mask comes back one more time where after you input the PAL codes, liquid floods that room gas and uh, Otacon yes, has yes. to open the door for you. And all I did was put on the gas mask and, you know, after like 30 seconds, the door was open. So I'm like, well, if you didn't have the gas mask, this could be quite um, terrifying. We're already kind of on the topic anyway. There's a lot of equipment in this game, mm -hmm. a lot of equipment uh -huh. and a, a, a whole bunch of it comes in handy but also a whole bunch of it seems like you don't need it and you're able to kind of slide by without it how yeah, do you um, guys you know like feel when it, when it comes to all the items that you know you're able to go out of your way you know they're almost like exploration like rewards in a way mm -hmm. and were there any examples you guys had where you you think you know oh an item could have come in handy here but you didn't get it or maybe an item that wasn't required happened to come in handy somewhere else yeah yeah i i, I have a big one um i want uh, I had quite a few stumbling blocks through uh, this playthrough. Uh, one, one of the bigger ones earlier on was the dog caves on the way to Sniper Wolf, the first fight. And um, I kept getting, you know, mashed by the, uh, sorry, I kept getting mauled by the dogs and I couldn't find how to get through. So, you know, I looked online and um, the walker I found, he said, uh, well, go back and get the night vision goggles. They help a lot with that area. Unfortunately, um, if you go back to uh, Psycho Mantis's room and you try and leave, uh, Campbell codecs you and says, Snake, be a gentleman. You're not going to leave Meryl alone, are you? You can't actually go back. No way. Yeah. Um, so I was like, oh, shit. I have to get through this section without the thing that makes it easier. And, and then, I, you know, the way I eventually got through was something I'm not proud of, but, you know, I just mowed down all the dogs. <laughs> yeah. No, they, they would fucking not deserve stop it. freaking... They, yeah, they wouldn't stop freaking lunging on me. I got backed into a corner. I had no other choice when I did that section. Mm. That's... That, that is... I... See, it's so interesting hearing that. I didn't even know, like, that little extra... That, that's, quite the, that's quite the experience you had, whereas I don't know if even half the players had it. Because mm. I, I didn't have it in, in each of my playthroughs. I think I happened to find night vision goggles on my own each time, and I, I didn't even think about it. But it's wild that they block it from you. And this is kind of off on a tangent, but it is a question I specifically typed out because I wanted to hear Drew's opinion on it. Okay. So it, it's not related to the equipment, but it is related to that exact moment. If you guys don't mind, Drew, <laughs> I guess I assumed you, were, you, you would be talking about like Meryl a bit more than you have. But I said, Drew, you've <sighs> talked about Meryl a bit. 
How did you like getting to the first Sniper Wolf bit after Mantis, where she declares, I'll take the lead, follow me, then disappears from Vision, even though she just admitted Snake knows more than her? Uh, I was so fed <laughs> up with her by that point already. <laughs> Not only is she such a fucking pick-me girl, <laughs> she, she insists... Uh, she insists on fucking... She decides at the last second to not be a pick-me girl. And so... <laughs> and takes the lead when when she admitted she literally doesn't know anything. So when when the when the time came, the only reason I did the, the, the sniper wolf fight is because the game asked it of me. <laughs> not because I actually cared. And I, I'm sure you can assume what, what outcome I ended up taking. There's there's also stuff that's like not even about Meryl herself, but just the fact that the game makes you fucking backtrack all of that way to get the snipe the sniper rifle and then come back to do that fight, which is mm. tied to Meryl. And then just the fact that if Meryl lives or dies is tied to that fucking annoying torture sequence. Yeah. Uh, that, that also makes me hate her way more. <laughs> On top of just everything about her character being the worst thing ever. You um, know, that's so interesting. So, so like, you're saying an inconvenience in the game. Uh, it Like, it didn't have you hating the creator, but it had you hating, like, the character it was tied to. Well, yeah, because it's, like, it's like, oh my god! If only you had a, you have to go get a sniper because Meryl's being shot with a fucking gun. And then you have to backtrack all the way back there. And you get back there and she's not even she's not even in the spot anymore. And you're like, what the fuck? What is this? And you have to do like one of the worst fights in the game. And then you have to do one of the worst <laughs> like mini game you have to do one of the worst Mario Party mini games ever to to choose the outcome where she doesn't die in the end. And I was like, bro, it, it's it's 11 p.m. I'm freaking tired. I don't care about this. Meryl can fucking die, and I and I lost the torture sequence, and I went to bed. Mm. <laughs> it's funny because at the time, like you know, like, like Liquid even even taunts you, saying you haven't saved in a while. <laughs> oh my god, dude, that's hilarious. <sighs> Dave, did you have anything to add to all that? Well, j- just that. That uh, area as well, uh, that confused me when Meryl said, I'm going to take point uh, in the dog caves. And then you like, you know, because previously she led you to Mantis's room. So it was very like, you know, she's there on screen and she waits for you if you want to go dick around. You know, it's, it's very, uh, OK, I'm following Meryl. Then you get past that into that new area and she says, I'm going to take point. And then she's gone and um, you, you hear the dogs and, you know, I was exploring out the side and, you know, I found stuff, but it was like, basically she ran off on her own and suddenly, uh, yeah. How did she get through the dogs? I mean, I assume because the little pup loves her at the end, the dogs never attacked her. I don't know. It was just, I guess it was also, she, she's disappeared. Um, I hate this area because it kept killing me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it, it just was another one of those things where it, it didn't make a lot of sense to me. I mean, I, I maybe, yeah, I, I don't know why they decided to change it. I guess 
you know, you couldn't have Meryl leading you through the dogs because then you'd either have to watch out for her health or it was probably too complicated. But but it was uh, it was jarring and I didn't like it on top of everything else about that area. I I hated it, too, because she just fucking vanishes, <laughs> you know. But what's funny is if you if you just like walk down the hallway that isn't all like dark yet or whatever. Like, yeah. you don't actually enter in the ice area. You can see a crack in the wall, and you can yep. see her st- already stand there. And I'm thinking, you know, again, like, limitations of the time. I understand. You can't, like, simulate, oh, you know, she had enough time to walk over there. But I'm like, bruh, she just ran. I sprinted as fast as I could to yep. see this area. And she's already back there. It's like, fuck off, Meryl. Fuck mm-hmm. off. I was pissed. And also, <laughs> even funnier. Again, we're, we're kind of talking a little out of order. But I swear, we like, we will get to Gray Fox soon. But uh, it's kind of funny, though, because right after this whole bit, <laughs> I have, as, as a follow-up, Drew, um, as a follow-up, how did you feel when she painstakingly walked around the mines in the snow for a solid straight minute? Here, um, Snake, I know so the way through the mines. <laughs> it was a little bit ridiculous. Unfortunately, I, like you, have, have had already previously seen Matthew Matosis's video, mm-hmm. so... I was just sitting here like, wait, this is the clip. This is the clip. And then I just walked straight across. We, we walk right through. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You just run straight up and then you're done. Has, it's funny. I, I, I can't even put my head in, into the mindset of I'm, I'm going to follow her footsteps. I, I, I can't anymore. It's been ruined for me. I it isn't just because even, of this clip. But even yeah. after a while, when you come back and you have like the thermal and the mind detector, like the, the mines, you, she, she, that, that route she took was just needlessly long. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and honestly, I probably would get, like, suspicious of it, even if I hadn't seen the video, and I probably would look it up and find out that you could just walk straight across anyway. Because it just... That's the sort of thing where it's like, hmm, this is a bit weird. <laughs> it's just... It's, in, it's insane how long they hang on it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is. It is. Okay, but that's prior to the first uh, sniper wolf fight. We're not there. Sorry. So we're, we're gonna jump back in time again. <laughs> so we're we're right we're right in the hallway prior to like the first interaction, like the first real interaction with like Ninja, who just sliced off Ocelot's hand, mm-hmm. and we just see mm-hmm. all the corpses in the hallway. It looks brutal, right? Yeah. We're like, I don't think we've yeah. even seen anything close to this yet in the game. This brutality, all mm-hmm. this blood and shit. So anyway, <laughs> so we walk in, right? <laughs> So, so you, you're walking in there, you're walking in there, you see, you see the ninja and you're like, oh, hell yeah. But then he's cornering, he's cornering this nerdy little scientist guy. Now, he looks completely helpless because, because everybody's like PS1 faces in this game are just like textures (laughs) and he's just got these like. bottle cap lenses on his glasses he can't see his pupils looks completely fucking brain shocked he's cowering on the like he does the whole thing where he's like falling over he's like backing up crab walking and 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 he he wiggles his legs and he pisses himself Mm. he's so terrified that he pees in his pants okay and that's that's your introduction introduction to the amazing character of hal emmerich in metal gear solid We've all been there, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've all been there. I, I remember. Well, I remember the the last time I I peed my pants was, you know, I had to be at least a couple decades ago, you know. 
You were you were being threatened by a cybernetic ninja as well. Oh yeah. See. Yeah, I was at my daycare. No. I was Bullshit. like horrified. <laughs> so yeah, our, our introduction to um, Otacon is extremely. It's it's painted in humor and almost absurdity, which is interesting because of course, you know. Like ninja himself is absurd in the way because mm. we're this is a very like serious like you know like, you know, like military uh, infiltration up to this point yeah Asala was kind of goofy sure but I mean and then we just we have this invisible like samurai half robot guy who just wants pain give me mm. pain <laughs> yeah he's obsessed with it oh man. It gives it kind of like a creepy feeling too, because you're like, why does this guy want me to beat him up? This is so weird. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I, I have this fight ranked four. Yeah, I've got him at number four. I've got him at number four as well. Um, oh. And not even just because it's like, I, it's one of those story driven fights, but it doesn't just like ask you to do the same thing over and over again. It, like keeps changing itself up like at first he just lets you hit him and then he's running around the room and you kind of got to hug the center a little bit so you can turn around and and punch him in the kisser and then eventually he like turns invisible and you get to mess around with that too you got to use your your thermal goggles to find him when he's invisible and just that sort of thing it's really fun like trying to read his attacks and and punch him and and dodge him i i really enjoyed it but on top of that, it's just like, it really, it, it does feel like a character driven fight where it's like, he wants a fight from you, but at the same time, he wants to lose because he wants the pain from you. It's, and so it puts him in a very interesting position. Okay. Well, uh, this is number two for me. Oh, Whoa. first feel good boss fight, four, four and two. Yeah. I, I, nice. I was kind of- I was kind of surprised by my top five, um, but uh, yeah, there's uh, what Drew said. You know, it's very story driven. Um, I like the idea that you know um, you put away your weapons. He wants a he he wants kind of like a true warrior fight, and then you know once you start kicking his ass, he reneges on that because he's losing, <laughs> so he goes back to his tricks. <laughs> um, I think there's a very nice flow to the fight. It can be a little annoying, you know, trying to bait on an attack and then try and counter, especially when the movement doesn't work well. But there were, I don't know, it just, it was a boss fight that kind of just worked. And uh, for me, uh, that's kind of what I look for in boss fights. It's, it doesn't even have to be that I did it the first go, which I did do this one the first go, but it's, it's like, yeah, it's a smoothness. It's a flow state. It's kind of mm-hmm. learning what happens and being able to execute it and having an engaging time, you know. Um, and, and then there were little cool moments like uh, where where I ran out of the way of, you know, where I thought he was going to attack and then he cartwheeled through one of the glass windows and it shattered. Oh, yeah. And I just, you know, a lot of the room, not a lot of the room, but parts of the room are destructible. Um uh, then at the end, just like why I enjoyed the Ocelot fight, there's that really interesting sequence where you learn what Gray Fox is and, and what you know mm. the connections and um, and including the intro that that hallway sequence is great. Mm. Um, 
the Otacon stuff, you know, his his introduction is weak, but then the talk after, I mean, that's kind of a separate thing. So sorry, but but yeah, just just the way um, uh, the combination of everything. Yeah, the it, uh, it, it was it was a very smooth fight. It flowed nicely. I liked I liked how it worked. Um, the, the different stages of it. Uh, there was a bit of spectacle involved. It it just kind of ticked all those boxes. That's great. That's great. It, it, it was like it was like a full package essentially, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. That's that's all. That's what you that's what you want. You know, that's the dream. That's the dream for this type of game. So that's great. And <laughs> it was nice that it happened after like those two kind of like middling fights. You know, because mm-hmm. I feel like if you got to this part and you were able to get through this fight, you're, you're kind of like I, I think at this point you're hooked, right? Like I, I would say I, I could totally see a person getting to the tank. You know, as I said, and being like, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I feel like if, if you got past like Fox or um, uh, Gray Fox, I, I feel like at that point you're you're probably pretty invested, and you're probably going to keep going through the game. And, and by that point, you are like what four to five hours into it, maybe three to four, but still, you've you've invested a bit of time now. Just like this podcast. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm happy we all enjoyed the Gray Fox. Uh, it was good, and of course, we have the introduction to Otacon, which we'll kind of talk about a little bit later, but. Afterwards, we have a whole bunch of like Meryl stuff uh, <laughs> where we oh have God. to try to we have to try to find her in like because she's she's hiding as a guard. And, Can I take uh, this one? Can I take this one? <laughs> so here's the thing. Here's the thing. <laughs> Meryl is here undercover, and she's disguised herself as one of the boy guards, but Snake can tell that Meryl isn't a boy because he stares at her ass and her <laughs> hips wiggle back and forth when she when she walks and runs. Yep. So when there when you need to meet up with Meryl in person, you need to find the guard that wiggles their hips and shakes their ass in the camera and then follow them into the girls' bathroom, which actually is a pretty cool detail that the Guard freaks out and goes into the girl's bathroom. That part I do like, but I do not like how how obsessed with her ass Solid Snake is. Like, is he not looking at the same graphics we are? Like, I really don't. There's real. I really don't get what the appeal is. I I have to point out quick as well. So this is a de- you know this is an example of like the small details, which is cool because you you can you can notice she walks different, but also I want to add two more things. Not only the, you know, not mm. only does her animations are different, she also has a different like sound effect to her steps. It's more of like a squeaky yeah. noise. And um, because I'm an idiot and I don't really like pay attention to that stuff, I just went up to a guard and choked him, and it happened to be her. So <laughs> I, I, oops, I, I killed Meryl, and it's really funny because you can totally hear it's Meryl, but you're I'm still pressing square. I'm sorry, I'm used to it oops. at this point. <laughs> Muscle memory, you're choked out. And then she's like, oh, the snake. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so it's really funny how they have like these, you know, the, the whole moment, it, it, it's the premise is, is really silly. And I can totally get not enjoying the whole ass thing because it's very focused on. But it is kind of it's one of those examples where there are some cool details, you know, even though it's a, it's a very silly premise. I, I would like to uh, mention something about this sequence uh, in that. The, the cutscene that takes place when you follow her into the restroom, both Drew and I got there before Dork. Uh, mm-hmm. And 
I think oh, I was God. the first one in there, and I, I remember complaining about uh, I really didn't like uh, I, I, I God I I can't remember the particulars, but it was like combination of Snake being obsessed with her, the talk about her ass and her hips and all that. You know, you don't walk yeah. like a soldier. It was the combination of her. Oh, I'm not like other girls. Other girls like lipstick. Yeah. I wanted to be a soldier, and and just the whole oh thing God. together made me just like roll my eyes and groan. And then when Drew got there, they rolled their eyes and groaned. And Dork wasn't there yet, but you know he played the game previously, and he said, "Man, I don't remember hating on uh, Meryl and how they wrote her as much as you guys seem to be hating her." So. So maybe I'm just forgetting it, and we're both like, "Well, when you get there, we'll we'll see what you think." And then uh, yeah. I, I think it was an evening. Dork, Dork played through that section. He's like, "I have to apologize." Uh, <laughs> I see it because it's like I said, Meryl is such a fucking pick me because she's literally like, "Oh, I'm not like other. I'm not like girly girls who likes doing girly things. Mm-hmm. I like going to fucking war. <laughs> I like killing people." I'm like, Even shut the never fuck up. Yeah, it's like, bro, Snake, okay, Snake already wants to fuck you, but he's not going to fuck you for that, bro. Like, chill the fuck out. <laughs> Ugh, she I, she has to be like, what? I, I'm, I'm guessing there is an age number out there, but I would guess 22. Yeah, yeah she seems very early 20s, yeah. And Snake's got to be what, like fucking... Like forty eight, like he's got, he's got, he's got to be at least that, seriously right? he's up there, and it's yeah, just I, like, I'd, I'd say forty five, yeah, yeah. So again, it's legal. I am totally <laughs> okay with two consenting adults. Oh yeah, yeah. that's that, that's that's fine. never the problem, right? It's just but... it's just the whole it's the context, it's the whole dynamic. Because again, I want I want to iterate. I was pushing back, you know, on this whole thing when it comes like you know like. To, like Drew and Dave complaining about it. I was like, honestly, guys, I'm not as, you know, like vexed about this stuff as I used to be. It's fine. And I played it, and I, I it wasn't just that it was like, oh, this is like sexist to women. It was just M- fucking Meryl, get over yourself. And also, Snake, yeah. what are you seeing in this child? What are you seeing? <laughs> yeah, seriously. Here? Yeah, I'm... seriously. Like, Meryl shouldn't even be in a freaking Alaskan war zone. She should she should be like downtown partying with the girls. Right. Like she shouldn't like, even be here. I'm I'm like thirty, uh, and like Dave, I think you're forty one. Mm-hmm. So I think we each have like e- even like better like perspectives of this. Cause I'm thirty and the way she's talking is just like Oh God! I don't want to spend time with you. You're so fucking like you know you you haven't matured enough to get past mm-hmm. this this whole like you know in this whole whole mentality of like oh actually how other people think of me is a big deal like mm-hmm. I, I, I listen I get the patriarchy I get it it's bad but you you gotta you got you gotta stop you know you, you gotta move on a little bit so I, I it yeah. just it was just eye rolling to the crazy degree and I totally agree with you guys to, at least in that extent. Mm-hmm. And, and and it was just another example of what I said before, where like the romance stuff that wasn't as harsh on it, um, because the, the eye rolling in that sequence was more yeah S- snake uh, lusting after her, and then yeah her I'm not like other girls bit, but you know like the the romance stuff does always seem to be so 
not in line with the rest of the game, even though the game walks that serious, goofy line. The romance stuff mm-hmm. always seems to be like a blindside, really. Every time it comes up, I'm like, oh, I guess we're doing this now. But man, it just doesn't work for me. I will say um, we haven't talked a lot about like the whole Coda conversations, but I mean, mm-hmm. I don't think it has to be a, a, hu- a huge here's the time. Mm-hmm. But I have to say, because we're on the topic of Meryl, um, so I, I would say like the vast majority of it, even after, if you choose to save her, even even the stuff at the end, it, it feels very, oh, okay, you know, again, you mm-hmm. guys can do what you want, but I don't know how this happened because you guys are only bonding over very like superficial shit here at this point. Trauma, uh, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. You, you guys are bonding over trauma, which is not the good basis of any relationship, I don't think. At, at nope. least, who, who knows? I haven't got experience. But I will say. There, I think there is a like a, a singular moment in like one of the Kodai calls where I was like, oh, okay, I'm starting to get some chemistry here because I think they just had a little joke and they each laughed at it and I'm like, oh, okay, F- finally here's a genuine conversation where they're enjoying each other's company because right. every other dialogue in the entire game with them is about serious shit mm. and it needed some more of that like light-hearted like brevity you know kind of thing i don't know if that's the right word for that well yeah it's like you got the two people in the war zone their partners together but like you know like a buddy cop kind of thing that's what you need like like old dave and hell <laughs> oh. exactly yeah exactly dude they were a better couple (laughs) don't even i don't want no we're not gonna get into that until mgs2 at the very or i think mgs4 right dave oh god uh look i I don't really want to drop too many hints about the future games but sure okay so anyway i think that's all we had had to say about like the whole like meryl bathroom scene does anyone else have any (laughs) oh my god i think we we got i think i finally got it all out of me we had to talk about it (laughs) we did also a cool small detail in the other bathroom there's a guy taking a piss you can choke I him cho- out as i choked him piss. out every time <laughs> you just got it it's, it's a rite of passage it's just what you do in mgs1 well i guess After i'll have this, to get back to that point again because i didn't do that but i'll do oh, it next time drew is a special child i am you're like i don't have to choke him out he's taking a piss you know whatever or did you even go into the men's bathroom at all i did but i uh hid in the other stall It'd be really funny if you walked in, you're like, oh, occupado, sorry. And you walked out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. And it then just like sprint it out. <laughs> so after this part, we uh, have a very small section, right? It, it's it's almost, it's I'm going to mention it because it is so small, where it's like, hey, Snake and Meryl get to walk around together. And like two feet later, right, uh, we fight Psycho Mantis. <laughs> mm, yeah. Yeah, so, they don't even um, get to do a, a Last of Us walk and talk. Like, they just go to the next boss. Oh, thank fuck. Right. No, uh, <laughs> so this, this whole intro part is, um, I guess, interesting. Uh, I don't know why Snake doesn't acknowledge it right away. But basically, prior to you even walking into the room, like, Meryl clearly gets, like, taken over by something. And she's yeah. like, I am a normal person. Let us go, Snake. It's like, hey, Snake, you mm. want to be like, hey, Meryl, what the fuck? What did you just say to me? That's not a Anyway. So they walk yeah, in, yeah. right? <laughs> wait, 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 can, can I just mention, like, maybe it's part of the humor of the game, but for a super soldier war hero legend, Snake is pretty oblivious. <laughs> yeah, a True. little bit. True. I think the main problem with this whole lead up scene is basically, like, she's like, I'm fine. Let's keep going. And then you go in <laughs> and she starts, like, trying to put the moves on Snake, right? 
And and I think it's like very clear they're trying to do like some tension buildups, like something's very wrong for the for the big reveal of Psychomantis and how powerful his mind control is. But it's just very tropey in a way that's not particularly endearing, you know. I almost wonder if, if this is like a moment where I think this could be a thing I've already mentioned before, but it's almost like the Seinfeld effect where anyone who mm. watches like Seinfeld these days will think, oh, this is just like everything else I've already seen. But like a whole bunch of shows copied what like Seinfeld, mm. it, it was really original at the time. And I wonder if this is kind of, the, you know, almost the same thing, because I, I don't I, I can totally see what you're saying, Drew, but I haven't played this in 1998, so I, I wouldn't even know. I would have to disagree like, because I think there's a lot of like other supernatural like horror films where I'm like I've just seen that sort of thing in so many stories where it's like something happens and then somebody gets taken control of and then to kind of feign it before an attack scene they're like oh I'm fine let's keep going you know like I've just seen that so many times I'm just kind of like okay interesting. I don't doubt you at all I, I guess I don't really have anything like you know like spring to mind and if I did I would probably say not in games, though, right, Drew? Not in games. Not in games, though. <laughs> this is the first game. Yeah, you're probably... <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll let you know if, like, anything comes to mind, but nothing's jumping to the front of my head right now. All right. That's fair. That's fair. Um, yeah, but she's all like, love me, Snake. Uh, love me. And it's like, all right. Uh, this is the one part of the dialogue where I think they should have changed it a little bit because it's, yeah. it's, it's cheesy in a way that just feels uncomfortable but not mm -hmm. I, here's the thing i don't think it was a a successful uncomfortable that i think they wanted us to get i was just more like a this is like juvenile almost like eighth grade even like younger than eighth grade language that she's using like she's an adult and she's saying love me snake yeah like seriously oh just, my god i don't know it kind of hit me as odd i'm not sure like <laughs> if you thought the same way dave but i don't know uh i i mean I was still, I guess, coming off the... Actually, I wasn't, because um, right after the bathroom scene, I saved and I did the Mantis fight uh, the next gameplay session. So there, there was a disconnect between those two things, but I was thinking, you know, coming off, sighing inwardly at that bathroom scene, and then you walk down that corridor, and yeah, she gets taken over. And I think as well, I was trying to just roll with it, because I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah. I remember Meryl was a part of the Psychomantis fight, and I guess this is setting it up. Let's just get through it so we can get to the Psychomantis introduction, because I remember liking that. Mm -hmm. And without further ado, we have the Psychomantis fight. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think we're I think we'll probably explain the cool parts as we like to defend our ranking. So let's just kind of get through our ranking first, all three okay. of us, and then I'll, I'll assign who the leader is. Uh, so Dave, let's hear let's hear how high you have this one. Okay, this is actually interesting because um, there's a lot about... Uh, once again, it's not the fight itself. It's kind of everything around it as well. I really like a lot about this. But uh, I ranked it as number six. Six. Interesting. Drew? I put it at seven. Holy shit. I put this at two. Wow. And I feel like Damn. our, our, like, our like, philosophies on... like grading this is really coming into play here because i'll defend it as well but i, I first want to hear from dave okay so first off like the intro um amazing uh i i mean 
we didn't get the full experience because obviously the best experience to play this fight is if you have a PlayStation in 1998 and you've bought a, and played through a bunch of games. So you have a bunch of save files on your memory card that Psychomantis can read. And then, you know, the, the famous one is like, if you've played Symphony of the Night, he goes, oh, I see you like Castlevania, don't you? Um, mm-hmm. For me, the only thing he was able to say was, oh, I see you don't say very often. You're very reckless. But even that, he said the really opposite cool. about me. He said, "He said, oh, you save often. You're very prudent, or something like that." Ah, cool. But but the bit that I love is like, let me show you my powers. Place your controller on the table. <laughs> yeah, dude. If I played this game when I was six and he did that shit, I would actually be so fucking scared. <laughs> well, well, I'm not I, oh, I thought you were just going to talk about being impressed and cool because I'm like, I'm 41 and. That's fucking amazing. I loved it. I had no, the it's still awesome. No, it's still amazing because it's like so corny, but you're like, oh, I got to go along with it. This is awesome. I don't think if, we'll talk about this because it's not part of a boss fight, but similar to um, when uh, I don't know if you guys did this, but uh, after one of the torture sessions, um, I contacted Colonel Campbell and Snake asks if uh, Naomi has something that can help with the pain. And Naomi goes, oh, yes, actually, uh, take your controller and place it against your bicep muscle. And yeah, basically, yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's using massage to, to heal you up. And your snake's like, oh, that's really great. Thank you. And, and like, you know, that, that's an echo <laughs> of... Um, <laughs> it's like it's not real, like but you got to go along with it. Yeah, yeah well, it, it's, it's a really cool use of um, kind of an added element of immersion, like... Uh, Mm-hmm. I, I won't go into it, uh, but actually, yes, if you go to my channel and watch my video on uh, nine hours, nine persons, nine doors, I start that video off with a story about my favorite part about No More Heroes. And that's a very similar thing. It's kind of using something external that the controller can do to to uh, greater effect. And and yeah, so so while the going back to Psychomantis, while the um, the, the reading your memory card or talking about how often you save is cool. It was the controller thing that I really liked, but now um, you probably want to know why it's not as high as possible. You you are, Dork, uh, and I'd love to, oh, I'd love to hear why you... Is it all right you, if I interject quick, though? Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. So about the whole like gimmick thing. Um, so it, it, again, it's really cool, and I totally agree with you that like having certain gimmicks like that and like using them in the game can enhance your experience like you almost feel closer to it i would say with rumble it's more of like a tactile like you're actually getting you know mm-hmm. like like to feel something in that game world in your hands it's, it's <laughs> cool like that cuz games don't make me feel anything <laughs> oh my god okay so i have a question for you then mm-hmm. if the exact same thing happened in the next 20 games you played like the next, for example, if you for some reason were like, I'm going to play a bunch of PlayStation 1 and PlayStation 2 games, and somehow 18 of the 20 of them you played had something to, you know, hey, you can use the rumble, and like it, it tried to do like a little gimmick thing with it, it would wear off, wouldn't it? Uh, yes and no, because I have a memory where um, like many of the games, it's actually the same thing like with the No More Heroes thing. Many of the games uh, that used rumble did it really badly. Um, a memory I have is uh, Final Fantasy VIII. 
uh, it would use rumble during the cutscenes when you know, like um, like a gun was going off, or you know, basically when bombs exploding. It was it was to add to the bombast of the scenes, but. There was no subtlety to it. Obviously, through this game, you, you you recognize that you have options. You you can you can really use the rumble in different ways. Uh, but in Final Fantasy VIII, the rumble was always like on eleven for everything, and it was it, mm-hmm. you didn't even want to hold the controller when a cutscene was going on. But you couldn't really put it on your table because it would just you know it would wake the house. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's it, it, so so. A lot of other games. I mean, I think developers learned. Like, I I played I played plenty of games where I think the rumble was fine. But actually, to be honest, I can't think of too many games where like the rumble was either used in a unique way or I I remembered the experience. Like um, Metal Gear Solid. I mean, okay, the the experience is fresh. We just played the game. Maybe I will forget about this in six months. But no. it, it's it's something I look back on fondly. See, because I was thinking, um, this is really stupid. <laughs> so, so again, place the controller on the ground. Yeah. I'm doing that, bitch. Or like place it on your arm. Again, it's fucking dumb, but it's great. Yep. It's great. But I, I wonder how much, at least with me, because I, I think with you, you, you can appreciate this stuff perhaps a lot more and, and have more of like a tolerance to it. But I'm just thinking, man, if this game wasn't so fucking great in every other way, if I wasn't already, like, sold, I don't mm. think I would have seen it as so... Because, again, I, I do think it's cool. I do. But if this wasn't a game like... uh, What's, like, a random fuck... I don't know. Like, just, like, an average an average game. I don't think it would be anything that I would, I would love. I'd be like, well, this is... And, it, you know, this was ambitious, I guess. But I this is kind of dumb. But because you kind of like accept that MGS is just this weird amalgamation of like seriousness and just the, just the stupidest shit ever. It, it become, it becomes cool. Yeah. So that's all mm-hmm. I have to say about that. I, I, I totally agree. I, I think, I think gimmicks or little fun, little things can enhance, you know, like a good game to a great game and maybe it can make a mediocre or average game memorable but you know, yeah, well, yeah. I, I don't th- I don't think a mediocre or average game would have too many of those moments, if that makes sense. Um, but 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 just you know, uh, uh, to to finish off why it's number six for me, the fight yeah. itself I found really frustrating. Um, dodge I could never dodge the furniture to my satisfaction. Uh, I found it very hard to hit him. Like the, the the swapping your controller bit is really cool, and actually because I knew that was the solution. I played into it like I didn't know what was happening. I would go through my codex trying to get a hint of why can't I hit him? What's going on? You know, I'd run around the room. <laughs> um, and eventually, like on the third or fourth uh, Campbell conversation, he's like, yeah, it's like he's reading your movements. If only there was a way where you could uh, mask your movements. And then if you talk to him finally one more time, he's like, I got an idea, Snake. What if you put the controller in the second player port? <laughs> and like, that's really oh cool. And, and I, I love how he reacts. He's like, what? What's going on? Why can't you shoot me now? And, and yeah. then 
Like the Great Fox fight, I found the phases interesting. Like, you know, when he takes control of Meryl, and at that point, I just deck her to... Yeah, oh, no, right. no, sorry, he right. takes control... Just smash her into the ground. Yeah, yeah, because <laughs> he takes control of her, and you have to kind of, you know, you, you put your weapons away, because hopefully at this point, you don't want to kill her. Maybe some people did. You probably fail, too, if you do. Um, but, you know... You, <laughs> You punch her, and then suddenly he does that thing where I'm going to really hurt you by making her kill you, uh, herself. And since oh my god, si- yeah, si- since the cutscene, I was right next to her when that cutscene played. Basically, the instant I got control again, I just punched the press the punch button, and it was like a <laughs> deck. <laughs> She goes down to the ground, and it's like, well, I don't have to worry about Meryl anymore. But um, yeah. I- I, I love I I love you know the intro. I love all those phases. The, the the conversation he has as he's dying is actually kind of touching. He had a really bad life, and you know you kind yeah. of feel for him at the end. Um, mm-hmm. But but yeah, just I guess the act of playing the fight, I didn't like that much. So I think I said two. You said what was it? Six. All right, Drew. Yeah, I put it as seven because. Obviously, the the story stuff with Psychomantis is great, but I was trying really, really hard to just rank them as purely like what's in the fights mechanically. And once you change the controller port, like you basically just you can just walk up and punch him over and over again. Mm-hmm. I, I just found I found that part just incredibly boring. But that's fair. That's everything fair. about who he is as a person, pretty epic. That sucks. <laughs> Um, so it's interesting because I feel like out of, out of the three of us, I am the one, at least, you know, like going off our channels that's uh, obsessed with, with, with mechanics and gameplay. Hmm. So I was trying to go out of, out of like my own comfort zone and I was trying to see it as a whole picture. Right. And that's why I, I put it number mm. two, just because, uh, it was all those cool elements together. Again, I've admitted already, it's dumb in isolation. Those are all dumb as shit moments, but mm. it kind of... It's just this such a memorable moment in the game. Everyone knows Psychomantis, yeah. and he's just such a cool because uh, uh, he 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 does telekinesis in the game about like military and like nuclear weapons. It's just it's just so it's so it's so batshit. It's great. It's just yeah. so nuts. The gameplay part mm-hmm. isn't great, but I do love Smack and Meryl a bit, so that's fine too. Um, yeah, it really worked say, out though, in my favor. We're, we're all gonna get canceled. Yeah, right. I will say, though, the only problem I have... So it is cool that Campbell... Uh, like, Dave, I'm pretty sure I talked about like in this whole thing with you on Discord. It is cool that he eventually tells you what to do. Mm. Because who on earth would ever try that on their own, right? Yeah. Uh, but he, I, I don't think his hints are good enough. No. And the reason why I say this is because... So, like, Psychomantis just read your memory card. And it's like, oh, kind of cool, right? Yeah, it is kind of cool. But he read your memory card, right? So mm-hmm. when you get the hint from Campbell that he's, like, reading your, like, movements, I don't think I would make the, the leap to controller port because controller yeah. port has never entered the conversation before. Well, well also, uh, I could be wrong about this, but from memory, in all the games I played, like, you know, on... Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Nintendo 64. I got a PlayStation much later, but I had one. PS2, all those. If you plugged your first person, if you plugged your controller into port two, you couldn't interface with most games at all. Correct. Mm. You d- it just it just wouldn't work. It would just be mm. like a you know here's a- in fact if you do that 
it, it it's the thing where you hand like your like niece the controller and be like you're playing the game but yeah, you're not because yeah. it, it, it's like exactly so it's just it, it's so unintuitive that I feel like people. I'm pretty sure like this is exactly like what Matthew talked about in the video, but I, it's how I feel too. I feel like people kind of like have a warped perception because it's just so nonsensical to even yeah. try without hearing it from Campbell. Uh, Drew, do you have anything else, or yeah. are we gonna move on? No, I th think we pretty much covered it. Pretty, I mean, Heck great yeah. character, but middling fight. Oh, oh, right. Um, so, as like Dave was saying, he has a whole speech at the end. And um, this is like the one thing I'm I'm pretty confident that is is correct about like the remake and and that they corrected this dialogue. So apparently like apparently like you know Hideo Kojima he wasn't in control of like the English script as much as the Japanese one in this game. And I I think you told me this, Dave. After this after this game, he 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 tried to like make sure he he had all all the translations correct, right? Um, I don't remember hearing about that. Oh, okay. Um... Because uh, I, I know in this boss fight specifically, he did not like how like Psychomantis was portrayed because of one word, of one translation issue. Um, okay. At the end, he says, helping people feels good. Whereas apparently he's supposed to say, helping people feels nostalgic, huh. which Ooh. is a different, it's it, it's different. He, he's not, mm. he's not like, he's not, you know, if this was like Star Wars, he didn't come to the light side at the last second. He's just kind of like commenting how he used to be a person who helped people and yeah. it kind of like, mm -hmm. it kind of feels like the old days. And you, and I think that's even better because you could interpret that he perhaps like he is, he is kind of like seeing the light now, you know, but, or you could also interpret that he still isn't quite there, but at least he, at least like it kind of tells you that it, he was a good person in the past or something like that. Just, or, or, or if you want to get a little more abstract, he might've never been a good person, but you know, that feeling of nostalgia is like, I have a feeling that something happened, but it might have never been. Mm, yeah. But, yeah, so that's uh, Psychomantis in the books. And we've already talked about the whole, like, wolf stuff and, like, the ice the ice area, right? That was great. Christ, So, yeah. again, like, Meryl, she's great. We all love her. <laughs> anyway, so <laughs> after Meryl fucking painstakingly walks through those mines forever, uh, she gets shot! Wait, wait, she doesn't get shot. She gets shot three times, like once in the leg, I think once in like the shoulder. And I can't remember what the third one is, but basically the fact that she didn't die right there is a miracle. From a sniper rifle, wish, too. Mm -hmm. It isn't like a fucking pistol. I wish that Sniper Wolf, I wish Sniper Wolf just like clocked her in the head and made her brains <laughs> explode everywhere. That would have been hilarious. I don't think it w okay, obviously, like, you're, you're just joking, so I'm not sure if I should take this super seriously, but I will say, even though as much as it, I I do think Meryl dying for the story improves it, I, I, I still feel like her coming to the realization as she's bleeding out that, oh my god, I, I was so naive, I think that's, I think, I think that's worth it. Mm. So, it her it, brain yeah. being splattered would kind of, would kind of remove that for us. <laughs> but, it would be funny. It'd be funny for, like, imagine <laughs> if this game had, like, some outtakes that were obviously, you know... <laughs> like, the pit, like the Toy Story 2 outtakes, that would be amazing. Exactly. That'd Whoops, be, no, like, I shot Meryl. <laughs> no, like, they, like her braids explode, and then, like, the camera goes in, and they're like, oh, man. And then oh, she missed like, again. And was like, my bad, my bad. <laughs> we have to backtrack a crazy amount because we can't, we can't fight this sniper without a sniper ourselves. Mm. And um, 
You know, it's. I'm glad that you brought this up, uh, Dave, because I was going to ask, because you, in fact, I, I think this is why. And here is what I'm going to explain. So hang on. I realize I have you on the edge of your seats. Hang on. Mm. So um, mm. I was thinking as I was playing this, I wonder if I could have already gone back and gotten the sniper before this section. But you acquire the key card you need to, you know, access the sniper rifle in that room from Psychomantis. Yep. And as you just said, if you try to go back, you know, Campbell won't let you because you can't leave. You're supposed to be a gentleman. So I wonder if that was you know, like them trying to block you from from obtaining the sniper early because they yeah. want you to see Meryl get shot first before you go back. If you had the sniper, there's you know how do you explain her disappearing when you come back yeah the the fight can't happen or at least mm -hmm. it would have to be they'd either have to code in a different fight for meryl being there or you know yeah it would it would be uh an added pain i guess i will say though even though i knew about it each time i played the game it still feels so wrong it feels so weird to be like mm -hmm. i'm in a boss arena clearly but i have to leave yeah, it was freaking weird, because I've never really had a game, like, ask me to do that ever. It's like, no, you're in the boss arena, the boss fight is happening, you're here, you're fighting the boss. But this game is like, no, you gotta leave. Like, I never would have thought to do that. I don't even think Campbell, like, tells you to go all the way back, or you don't really get any nudge as to where the, the rifle actually is. They're just like, oh, I guess you better go find one. While Meryl is literally bleeding out. Yep. Maybe Otacon or like Nastasha ha has like some insight on there, but I don't know for sure. I'll, I know for sure though that it, it definitely feels awkward. And like mm -hmm, Campbell, mm -hmm. even though he, he tells you that, you know, you got to go find a sniper. I remember at the time I was thinking, oh, is it in the room somewhere? Like, is it is it right? Is it next to me somewhere? And I just don't see it. No, you have to fucking go back all the way through the through the whole game, essentially. It really broke up the pacing in a way. I don't know. Yep. Mm-hmm. But, you, you, you know, when you finally get back there, um, I, I mean, maybe I'll talk about this a little more once I give my ranking, but, like, I had to look up how to do the fight properly, the first sniper wolf fight, because I wasn't understanding what I was doing wrong. I was getting really frustrated. And once I learned kind of how the fight works... It's not too bad. We aren't there yet, Dave. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> so, we come back, and we have the fun... Okay, yeah, we're, we're essentially there, Dave. We're there. Right. Okay, we're there, we're there. <laughs> no, but it is kind we... of funny that... Uh... Shit, I was going to say something about this. Oh, yeah. Because it's even worse, though, because they make you go through that goddamn wolf section more times. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, But you know fuck what's off. even worse? You know what's even worse than the wolf section? That fucking diagonal barrel in the laser room that has the yep. rifle in it. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Ah. I'm that so angry. Pissed me off. Oh. So let me. So, here's the thing. I'm so when you this. push the button to make you make Snake lay down on the ground, and then you're like, you can only rotate at like 90 degree angles. But so there's this room where you have to sneak through a gap in these lasers. So you can get the sniper rifle, which is fine. But when you're leaving, they put this environmental, there's like this barrel lying diagonally on the ground right next to the lasers. And it like puts you at a really awkward angle. Like it pushes you into the laser basically when you rotate. 
And when that happens, you're basically screwed because that whole room is like a tinier room inside of a room that's already full of guards. So they can yep. just corner you like instantly. It yep. stinks. Oh, it. I, I think I think I failed that twice. I also I also um, I also failed it because I tried to choke out a guard on the way there and I got caught. But uh, that mm. happened all through the game. Um, mm. Yeah, yeah. Though the the uh, the crawling, especially because yeah, Snake's movement is so awkward. It's like his his legs are kind of jutting out from him at, at a, not an awkward angle, but the way you're moving, it almost feels like it's a Bennett Foddy game. You know what? I, I can kind of understand what you're saying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I completely, I guess, maybe um, tried to pave over that memory, Drew, until you brought up the room, and then it just came right back, and the surge of <laughs> anger, like, oh, no! <laughs> so we have the sniper, and we go all the way back, and uh, we have the first sniper wolf fight, and mm. uh, I will let Drew lead this one off with their ranking. I put Sniper Wolf 1 in 10th place. Wow. I have her at 9th place. Um, mm. I'm, I'm at 8, so we're, <laughs> we're in a row. Down. All right. Drew, yeah. what you got? Well, I... It's just not fun. I Looking back <laughs> on it, this was one of those fights where I was sitting on my couch. I was thumping my leg because the fight was stressing me the fuck out. Mm. and i was literally like yelling at my tv and i was literally like i was literally saying things like oh are you come on you what a bitch are you serious? Mm-hmm. like that kind of thing like because i was so stressed out because not only do you have to keep like tanking down the what is it dies diazepam dizepam diazepam diazepam to make your your sniper aiming steady because when you don't take it, the, the heartbeat makes your hands rumble and your aim kind of goes all over the place. It makes it difficult to aim. Mm. But on top of that and having to do your best to line up the shot, if you don't shoot her fast enough and figure out where she is, which the sniper rotates really fucking slowly too. If she yep, shoots yep. you, your aim bounces <laughs> off to the side and like oh. kind of a random angle yeah so it just is that also just sets you up for complete failure it's just insanely frustrating especially because you're you're stuck having to aim down the middle of a hallway you don't yeah. have any real options to move and and keep trying to be often offensive you you can only be defensive really mm. I will probably talk about the aiming again in Sniper Wolf Part 2, so I'll hold off on that. Um, I don't have much to say besides what you said. So, Dave, do you have anything to add? Yeah, yeah, actually a lot. Um, one, oh. uh, I didn't find any diazepam. I had that for Sniper Wolf 2, but number one, I had to do it um, with the heartbeat. And actually, you bring up the heartbeat, that's another, I guess, really cool use of the rumble. Whenever you're uh, looking down a sniper scope, uh, you you feel the beat of Snake's heart. I think that's really cool. Um, so I, I think both of you might enjoy the fight a little more if you'd known about like the R1 uh, equip, unequip thing, because uh, it, it allows you to be a little quicker with it. So, so the way, because I was getting really pissed off about the fight, you know, I, I try and set up in the middle and uh, 
it takes you forever to find her. And then ha- usually have to, like, even before you find her, she shot you. So, yeah, you, you, your scope's all mm-hmm. off. Um, and, and, and when you're trying to aim at her, if the heartbeat happens, you miss the shot. So you got to, you know, run around to try and get more ammo, which does slowly come back. It respawns. But um, then looking up how to actually do it, um, you know how there's those two walls on either side of the, the hallway. If you lean up against them, the camera changes. So you're looking right down the hallway and you can see the red dot of like, obviously this is in, this is like for gameplay purposes. She doesn't actually have a laser scope on her rifle because she's supposed to be a really good sniper and that would give you away. But um, Mm. you basically get to see where she's aiming at with a red dot and then the line follows her back to where she is on the balcony. So you you just wait until she gets up and runs to a new position. Then you can run into the middle of the hallway and hopefully set up and move to where she is and fire before she hits you. The problem I had was, you know, I would wait till like she's hiding behind the pillar and I'd run out and halfway through setting up, I'd get shot. It's like, wait, you were supposed to be transitioning. How could you shoot me in that time? So that that pissed me off. But for the most part, the fight was decent when, you know, you're waiting for a moment to actually set up and fire on her. Uh, without the diazepam, it was much harder to get a good shot on her. But um, yeah, I, I didn't hate this fight once I knew what to do. Uh, but as you can see from it being number eight, it wasn't a favorite. I'm sure I'll have more to say when we get to like the Sniper Wolf part two. But I, I want to say up front that I think the idea of like dueling snipers is a is really great so Mm. i I can't hate it too much because the idea of the fight is so cool and i also have to admit if the control scheme was exactly how we'd expect in like a modern game it would be so easy and it would be way too fast paced too Mm. so it it wouldn't get the right feeling either so god the controls for it are so i'll talk about later i promise i will because I, I didn't have as much in this section as I did in, in the second section. But I, I, I just wonder if there's a way where you could have the best of both worlds where the controls feel good, but you still have like the feeling of like a we are two snipers trying to wait each other out until we get an opening. Because you guys know if you had a Call of Duty thing, it'd be done. Mm-hmm. It's, it's uh, I, I really, I, I'm looking forward to when you finally play it yourself, you'll have to tell uh us about how the fight plays in twin snakes oh yeah that's a good point if i do a video on it then that'll be that but if i don't then i'll tell you yeah um yeah the, no, the, the idea of a dueling sniper is a really neat idea and yeah like a, like a lot of um actually that that's kind of my uh how i view i guess most of these boss fights especially the ones that i don't like as much is that I think all the ideas here are really cool. It's just the execution is lacking. Mm, yeah. It's almost like every single thing to do with Star Wars ever. It's always a great idea. The execution is always what's <laughs> fucking terrible. I have never agreed with anything more in my entire life. <laughs> okay, Drew, um, okay, Drew, what did you have to say? But I also want to be clear. I, I want to be very clear. I, I agree with Dave that the execution is lacking specifically in this fight right here Mm. okay because that's foreshadowing for next time Ooh, 
So after this, uh, after like we charge up there and uh, we don't see where Sniper Wolf is, right? Because I'm pretty sure you don't see her corpse, do you? She's just, she's gone? Yeah, she's gone. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. you go to the door you already couldn't have opened anyway. <laughs> and then in a cutscene, Snake gets caught. Yep. Bruh. <laughs> Literally, like, in terms of, I, I don't want to do this. I don't want to, every critic does this, but. I mean, ludonarrative dissonance, anyone? Like, come on. Like, it, it, it's it's just a thing in action games, I guess, where you, where they, they have to get caught on the most basic of shit, even though through gameplay you, you've already demonstrated that there's no way you would have gotten caught. But but here's, here's where it's worse. Because Sniper Wolf walks up to you, not a scratch on her. <laughs> she could have at True. least been, like, limping or, mm-hmm. or covered in blood or something, yeah. It's as if she didn't even fight you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, Snake gets captured, and he's now naked. <laughs>